four, three. Well, it, it cut off uh, like three seconds of the countdown. So uh, welcome, everybody, <laughs> a little bit <laughs> early there. Uh, hello and welcome to the Three Feathers podcast. This is a weekly podcast featuring three friends discussing various topics. Our previous episodes are available on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Prime Music, Google Podcasts, Podvine, and Spotify. We will be recording a new episode live every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern with the episode going up on all the podcatchers Wednesday morning of around 2 a.m. Eastern. We'd have audience appreciation set up through Stripe on Anchor.fm if you'd like to support the podcast. Questions can be posted on our Spotify Spotify page for the podcast, as well as on our Discord server. We'll do our very best to answer them towards the end of each podcast, so make sure that you post those questions. For our new audience members, I'm your resident crow, Isaiah. I'm your raven, Charles. And I'm the heron, Marley. Today we're going to be discussing uh, unrecognized women throughout history, and it is our inaugural episode of the Three Feathers podcast, formerly known as the Crow and the Raven podcast. Uh, we have our uh, previous episodes up on all those podcatchers like we discussed earlier. We also have uh, the video as of the last three episodes, I believe, uh, over on YouTube. And uh, Spotify has the video as well. Dark Wikipedia, that's D-A-R-K-W-I-C-A-H-P-I over on Twitch is currently streaming it there as well if you want to catch it live that way uh, so you it can should, see the videos. It should come up on VOD as well as long as everything works out right. So Awesome. So all there are tons of places to, to catch this, but we're going to be moving forward as the Three Feathers, as it was voted by our viewership. So thank you all for, for doing that and for tuning in as well. We really appreciate the support. It's, uh, it's just been awesome. So uh, one of us did more research than the rest. So why don't you go ahead and kick us off with some uh, detailed reporting while uh, I, I skim my notes and get caught up. <laughs> so that's Isaiah, right? That's the crow. The crow's going to go <laughs> no. next. So that's your, that's your thing. <laughs> no, that's fine. I can go first. I don't mind. It's a little nerve wracking. Um, the first person that I wanted to talk about um I wasn't sure if we were doing one or two, but I brought a, a second because it's, she's also, I mean, they're all good dimensions, but whatever. Well, realistically, it's just however many we can fit in. So. Yeah, you know, minus, you know, give or take about three, four, five tangents somewhere in there. Yeah. Somewhere. But, you know, they'll <laughs> all loop back around. We got this. Eventually. Um, <laughs> I want to make sure I pronounce this right. It's Xian Xiang Wu. Um, and she was a, let me read my notes here, a Chinese-American physicist. Um, she was born in the town of Lihu, Taizong, um, and that was in the Jiangsu province in China. Um, she was born in 1912, and um, what she is known for is, uh, well, she isn't known for it, um, but she disproved the law of parity, um, which is really important because the law of parity at the time was, and it's difficult to disprove scientific law. Um, and she did it. Um, and her work was credited to her lab partner instead, um, which was really 
uh, crappy, but um, <laughs> is important because it changed physics as we knew it at the time. The law of parity essentially was like, if you have a left hand, you have to have a right hand and they mirror each other, right? Um, and in science, that's not always true. Um, but at the time it was believed to be true that anything had, basically everything in life, even at the smallest level had a mirror image of itself. Um, so she disproved that. Um, I think it's pretty cool. I'm trying to remember if her lab partner won the Nobel Peace Prize or not. Let me pull that back up because I did do research on it. But, you know, there we go. Um, uh, no, she was awarded the Wolf Prize in physics, um, but that was later on. Let me see. Um, and she's best known for conducting the Wu experiment. Um, so unfortunately, I don't see anything. I looked up so many people today. I can't remember which ones won the Nobel Peace Prize and which ones didn't. Um, fortunately, there were so many women who had the Nobel Peace Prize stolen from off and underneath them that it's hard to decipher who is who at this point. But she did amazing work. Um, she stayed in the field of physics for her entire career. Um, and she continued to do, she didn't slack off with work. She continued to produce more results. Like I said, the Wu experiment, um, she was a part of huge projects, knowing that some of her best work was stolen from her and that it very well could, could happen again. She stayed in it for the love of science. And I think that that's really beautiful because there's different types, you know, there's the women who purposely disguise themselves as men. Um, and there's the women who, um, willingly gave their credit to someone else, um, just so that it could be, get, it could get out there, you know, and it could be taken seriously. And she had it legit stolen from her and she continued the path. Like I would be bitter. I'll be honest. I'll be bitter at least for a little while, <laughs> but as far as it's recorded, there's no indication that she ever decided, took a break from her work. She continued to do her work and, and did it because she felt like it was important whether she got the credit or not. And just, like I said, disproving a, a scientific law is a huge feat. Um, mm -hmm. And she did it, you know, against all odds, she did it. So I think that's absolutely brilliant. So that's my first nominee. Um, do you <laughs> want me to go into the second or does somebody else want to go with theirs? Charles, you go ahead and go with yours. We can bounce around right. like we normally do. But, Chief, that was a lot shorter than I thought. It's only six minutes in, seven minutes what? in. For all, the for all the research you said you, were, you had done and everything, I figured you'd <laughs> have a smidge more. I, it's fine. I, it's totally fine. I, but I, compared I, to, like, I, what I did here. I'm short and sweet. And, like I said, my research was done in between classes today. So. Right. Um, I, I, I hadn't narrowed it down, but I mean, if you had questions, I might be able to like narrow, like talk about it more. But that was that was a real impressive feat. Like she did a lot of work. I think she did end up winning a Nobel Prize later for different work. Um, mm -hmm. But it's just for me, it's incredible to see her resolve. You know, and um, her she stated that her heroine was. Um, Marie Curie, um, and uh, wait, hold on a minute. There was a quote here that I wanted to keep. 
Um, oh, okay, I can't find it. Anyways, it'll come to us later. But, um, but see, this is my research. Listen, when I say I do research, I say like I gather the sources and then just read off the sources. <laughs> Um, but yeah, incredible resilience, especially in the field of science, which even to this day is male dominated. Um, but back then it was even more so. And she didn't hide the fact that she was a woman and she didn't hide the fact that she was smart and she didn't hide the fact that her work was stolen from her. But to her, the work was most important, not the credit. And I'm glad that she, it finally was uh, credited back to her that she was the original finder of that um, information. And like you said, it, it described scientific law, which I hope one day I can say I did something just as incredible. So it was Sorry. stolen from her. She didn't, she didn't credit it to, credit to anybody else willingly. It was stolen. Yeah. It was taken from her. Okay. Yeah. It was like, it was like her lab partner that she was working with, but he took all the credit. Like he stole all the work. Um, which happens a lot. And a lot of the research that I was finding was, you know, it's, it's, uh, I think a few weeks ago, I mentioned, um, Rosalind Franklin, um, who was the person she's, she's the scientist who discovered the double helix. She took the first photograph of a double helix and discovered the form of DNA as we know it. And that work was stolen from her, um, by lab partners and that information was given to uh like it was taken from her laboratory and taken to another university and given it to watson and creek who were also working on dna at the time um they had a study of dna and they used her work to platform off of and wrote a book and even went as far as to say like they had some very comments about her appearance and how if she just dressed a little bit more feminine she might have gotten farther and it was it was very sexist and it just rude and you know she continued to do the work and continued to work in her field of study even though they did win a Nobel Peace Prize for her work and they used her photograph and the only credit they gave her was that basically they could have gotten it themselves but she just happened to beat them to it. And she wasn't a very attractive woman. And like the way they described her was just, it was so embarrassing. Like, come on guys, <laughs> come on. But anyways, that was, an, that was like a tangent. And that wasn't even my second person I wanted to talk about. No, you're good. Oh, that was I, a tangent. I, you continued on information about the character, the person. Well, that was a so, different person. That was Rosalind Franklin. And she was also mm -hmm. incredible. But go on. Gotcha. All right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I did a. Uh, I was trying to do a quick look up uh, for 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 her to like ask you questions about it, but I don't know how to ask this without just blatantly saying it. So I sent it to you. Um, oh. but, uh, it's just an elaboration of, of what you were saying. The they asked her the two people that stole it from her, uh, Miss Yang. They asked her to devise an experiment that would prove their theory, and then after she had got it right. They ran with her experiment and res and it, and, the res and uh, you know demonstrated her experiment that she had already run and proven. And then they were like, "Oh yeah, look at this thing we found!" And they both got the Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah. And they didn't give her any credit at all. Yeah, 
Isn't that insane? They, like they approached her and said, hey, can you make a an experiment that proves our theory? Because we think we're right, but we don't know. And she's like, oh, yeah, here's how you do it. And this is how it works. And yeah, I, yeah. I think you guys are right. And they're just like, thanks, unattractive woman. And ran off and got the Nobel Peace Prize. Fucking or right? Nobel Prize. Fucking and it's grimy. like. That's like, that is treacherous. That's how I feel mm. about it. That's the word that came to mind. Like, you didn't have the answer. You had an idea of something that would be cool. You made someone else do all the work and then screwed oh, yeah. them out of the profit, right? Like, there is a current, easy. current, um, well, former general of the New York Army National Guard that is now currently sitting in a high position. As a civilian, I don't want to give too, I don't want to say too much more because then could identify them. But they, uh, a long time ago, years ago, uh, helped run a PTSD clinic in Rochester. And by help run it, they stayed in their office while everybody else did the work and uh, never had any involvement really. Then all of a sudden, starts they come out, they ask all of the women that are working there who are social workers, licensed masters of social work, uh, hey, how is this pro how do you feel the program's running? How can we improve it? What resources do you need that you don't need? What resources do you have that you maybe don't need so we can, you know, filter things through and change things up? And if you if you had control for a day, what would you change? Like asking all these really like big questions, they're like, Oh, we're finally gonna fix this program, we're gonna fix the program gets all the information, leaves to go to another PTSD clinic that's run by a different organization, drops all the information that he stole from these LMSWs in order to get the position and reform that place, then reaches back out as the new director and scalps clients from the place that he stole all the information from. That's skeezy. So, to to say it doesn't still happen today. Oh, it definitely does. That was like six, seven, eight years ago, give or take. Oh no, it, it still does. I were you referring to when I said that science is a male dominated industry? Oh no, I was just referring to like in general that it still happens, okay. yeah. Yeah, it definitely does. It's like in everything, like people who yes. can't do steal from others. Oh yeah, they they say those who can't do teach, but it's like a, a huge insult to teachers. It's it's yeah. what you said is way more accurate. If you it, fake it till you make it, if you don't know how to do it yourself, steal someone else's shit. Yeah, and just keep faking it until somebody calls yep. you out, right? Yep. Oh, don't know, I don't know how to grow crops. Just just if you don't know how to grow crops, you just wait until somebody else grows all their fields and then you just walk up and kill them and then steal all their crops right that's right talking about you monsanto i i've heard that phrase so often fake it till you make it and i'm just like no no that's not how it works man put the put some fucking effort into it oh dude i don't want to give too much away or you know because i don't want to get in trouble but where i've worked oh say that is past tense um, it's a fuck up, move up. If you make a massive mistake that costs people time, effort, money, or having to redo projects, instead of getting rid of you or demoting you or punishing you for, you know, Hey, you made a big mistake. Like 
you got to work to get this back. They elevate you to a new position that gives you more pay and less responsibility. But if you work your ass off and you do the right things, you go, hey, good job. Here's more work. Doesn't make any sense. That's government positions for you. I was going to say, that's <laughs> the government. It doesn't have to make sense. It just does its own thing. Yeah. You waste, uh, you know, $5 million of taxpayer money to figure out if rats are more promiscuous, if they've been ingesting cocaine or not. You're lauded as a great uh, politician. <laughs> oh, cocaine. Let's not bring <laughs> cocaine into it tonight. <laughs> you have ghosts in your blood. You should do cocaine about it. Let's bring cocaine <laughs> back into it. <laughs> back into- Maybe things will get better. Maybe we can get Musk to buy Coca-Cola and put the Coke back in for us. Right? Let's, back put, to let's its... put the Coke back in Coca-Cola. <laughs> we'll all be feeling better now. So much um, better. <laughs> so my Thank first you. one. <laughs> horrible segue. Um, <laughs> is uh, Elizabeth Cochran Seaman. Uh, no. Born. Are you serious? That's one I did. No, it's not. No, it's not. I was like, I triple checked you, bro. I know. I was like, how did this happen? We were so careful. <laughs> uh, she was born. She was born Elizabeth Jane Cochran, uh, but she's better known as her pen name, pen name Nellie Bly, American journalist, industrialist, industrialist, inventor, and charity worker. Uh, known for a variety of things, but one of the things she's known for is uh, she made her record-breaking trip around the world in 72 days, which is pretty damn cool. And she's also known for her expose in which she worked undercover to report on a mental institution from within. Uh, She's seen as a pioneer in her field, and she launched a new kind of journalism known as investigative journalism. Uh, When she first got started... A newspaper column titled What Girls Are Good For uh, reported that girls should be giving birth, and that's pretty much it. Uh, So she responded under the pseudonym of, uh, pseudonym, I should say, uh, Lonely Orphan Girl. Uh, The editor, George Madden, was impressed and asked her to identify herself. After she revealed herself to the editor, he gave her a chance to write a couple more things. Uh, as she did, she had to be known as the lonely orphan girl uh, due to uh, it being customary at the time for women who were at news- who were newspaper writers to use pen names because you know you can't actually get credit um, so he named the editor chose the name Nellie Bly for her after the African American title character in the popular song Nellie Bly by Stephen Foster. Uh, her early work was on the lives of working women. She did investigative articles on women in factories, but they started receiving complaints at the newspaper from factory owners about her writing and demanded she be reassigned to cover fashion society, gardening, and other usual roles of female journalist. Uh, She was determined to, quote, do something no girl has done before, 
So she traveled to Mexico as a foreign correspondent, spending over half a year reporting on the lives and customs of the Mexican people, which was something that everybody was like, why would you do that? So, you know, she kind of paved the way uh, for trying to, you know, reach out and do extra types of journalism. Uh, But this led to the main reason um, I wanted to bring her up is her asylum expose, which is titled 10 Days in a Madhouse. And they actually just uh, recently, I'm not sure exactly when it was shot. I got to find it later on here. Uh, But they made uh, a film with, um, I want to say Christina Ricci, starring as Miss Bly. So um, basically what happened again, she was, you know, forced into theater and arts reporting, which she didn't want to do. Um, after about four months, she was left penniless and she had to talk her way into, uh, the Pulitzer newspaper, which was called the New York world at the time to take an undercover assignment. And she agreed to pretend to be insane in order to investigate the wild accu- at what was seen as wild accusations at the time of brutality and neglect at the Women's Lunatic Asylum on Blackwell Island, which has now been named Roosevelt Island. It wasn't easy for her to get in. She first had to check herself into a boarding house called the Temporary Homes for Females, where she would stay up all night and give herself wide-eyed looks of a disturbed woman, and she began to make accusations that the other boarders were insane. She is quoted of telling a assistant matron, there are so many crazy people about and no one can ever tell what they do. And she would often refuse to go to bed, pretending to be scared that so many of the other people uh, were police and that she would be called to the nearby courthouse. So she faked it to a police officer, a judge and a doctor, and finally got herself taken to the island. Once she was committed, she experienced deplorable conditions firsthand after just 10 days the asylum released bligh at the world's behest her which is the name of the newspaper again uh her report which was published on october 9th 1887 and later would become a book in 10 days in a madhouse caused such a sensation that it prompted the asylum to implement reforms and brought her lasting fame she has had a significant impact on American culture and shed light on the experiences of marginalized women beyond the bounds of the asylum as she offered in, ushered in the era of stunt girl journalism. Uh, in 1893, she used her celebrity status she gained from that <clears throat> to interview the allegedly insane serial killer Lizzie Halliday. Um, but part of the things that she had to endure that was just like, horrific are really depicted well in the film um they even went so far as to uh lock her in a steel cage that was barely big enough to fit her body into it and submerge it in water until she lost consciousness and then they would rip up the cage and basically force like uh do like what is it a forced heimlich maneuver to get the water out and then they would take her out of those, uh, like, in her normal clothes. They'd pull her out, take her down to her skivvies, and basically throw her into bed soaking wet. And this is just, like, that was, like, the light punishment they used back then. So it, was, it she had really horrific things. And uh, when she was finally let go, 
she was like, thank God you guys came and got me. She's like, I've been here forever. I don't know how any of these women are still alive. And they're like, yeah, you've been in here for 10 days. And she thought that she had been in there for years just due to the level of horrific treatment. So, um, very courageous woman to have done it. She, uh, obviously led paved the way for like investigative journalism that we kind of know it as today. And, uh, F, I mean, she, she was penniless at one point because they only wanted to have her write about, you know, what dress should the girls wear to the ball? She said, fuck that, and went completely broke trying to get this story off the ground. And she so, did it. So was she the one that, like, helped stop, like, asylums from being the way they were? Yeah, she. They did that, sweeping reforms just after, just yeah. in that one asylum alone. They had to do massive reforms, and like they fired the headmistress. They ended up like um, gutting out most of that asylum, and um, then in this was in 1887, and by like the 19. 19- what did we say before, like 1930s, 1940s, they started shutting a bunch of asylums down completely. Okay. So it was, so, she was like the tipping so that, point. Yeah. I was going to say first domino that tipped, she yep. knocked the rest of them down because that, you know, what you were describing, the conditions and everything we, you and I talked about that before. Yeah. That was just normal. That was just the way every day was in asylums back then. Yeah. They would do like really, some of the things they would do to these women too is like if one of them acted out, there was a scene where like one of them acted out, forget what they did. So the headmistress walks in, they have them all lined up and she's like, Oh, looks like this one has lice. Well, you know what that means? Everybody's got it. And she was going to shave every head of every woman in the asylum just because she was pissed off. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. So but when some it's a, it's amazing how some people when they get that little ounce of like power. Oh a yeah. Ounce of like just a little bit of power and it's just like I'm Skeletor. Yeah. Absolutely. And like Stupid. it just it it's almost like a possession comes over them, right? Like they switch mm. and and it's like, how could you do horrific things? Because you know if you were on the un- other end of it, you'd be begging for mercy, right? And it's like, how can you do that? How can you do that to someone else? Oftentimes, from what um, we've seen throughout history and what I've found through research and things like that, has been that once you label any group of people, it doesn't matter who it is, as an other like, oh, we're this, we're A, they're B, they're the other, they're the one that's different. Then you condition people to believe that they are less than human in some way. So in this case with the asylums, they had people convinced that once you had a mental disorder to this level that you had to be locked up, you were no longer human. You were just, you might look like it, but you're you're so far gone, you're not really human. And once you get that, domino to tip or you know that switch to go off in a, in the human brain as soon as you get somebody to view someone else as not being human you can get them to do damn near anything to that person or that group of people mm-hmm. it's horrifying but it's reality yeah. and we see it all the time like with domestic violence survivors mm-hmm. right 
like that's and people are like well i don't understand how it can get that way and it's like because that's what they do they make you feel less than human or less than what they want than an equal right and so then you start it's not even like a conscious choice you just feel like that you deserve what's happening to you and it slowly gets worse and worse you yeah, know it's kind of like um it's kind of like stockholm syndrome too yeah. it's like you get to the point where you feel like well i can't function without this person and especially once they get so much control in certain areas it's like you can't leave because you need money to leave but you don't have any money mm-hmm. and you know you can't get help because you're not allowed to have friends so you don't have any friends to turn to and then like you're completely alone in your entire family most of the time is either fooled duped or ostracized so you don't have them to reach out to they're either not going to believe you or they're not there because you're not allowed to have them so what do you do you have no money no friends no family how do you get out so and then there's that judgment right. too if you do reach out yeah. to somebody they like i i've been in domestic violence situations and people are like well i don't have respect for women who let something like that happen to themselves like wow you couldn't just you couldn't just help me like you don't understand what it's like on the other side you don't feel like you can leave right Mm -hmm. it's that invisible chain that's what domestic violence is and people don't see that you know and i think it is important to note as well that um, while I would say predominantly, we probably, I would think would be the right term, see physical um, violence towards women. There's also the emotional uh, emotional uh, abuse that happens as well, which coincides with that physical. And then you also have like financial um, financial abuse. And when you tie those three together, it, it's a lot of the control aspect happens but it's also worth noting that there is emotional it's very it very common for emotional abuse to happen from uh the other direction as well right so you can have a female in a in a typical i don't want to say typical in a um i guess like heterosexual cis relationship or whatever it can be in any relationship, though. Yeah, like, I'm just trying to like describe it in a way that makes sense. But it's like the 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 the, the, the way to describe it is both male and female can be an abuser, regardless right. of the relationship. You, you know, can be it, non-binary; you can still be an abusive person. <laughs> right, right. That's why I'm like trying to word it. It's like it's it's not just straight people. It's not just lgbtq it's not just binary or non-binary like it's it's everything can be anyone and everybody can be affected by it right it's important to understand too it's like the when you look at people and you're like oh that one's clearly in charge and has you know the physical authority in this relationship that could be the person being abused you know what i mean like outside looking in you could you have all these you know preconceptions which we're all guilty of when you look at anybody you instantly judge them to a degree um but that could be the person being abused like the one thing i don't want to say too much about the case itself because there was a lot of bad on both sides um from what we could see which we didn't get to see everything like the johnny depp amber heard thing though one of the things that stuck out to me as somebody that's been emotionally abused uh from female uh partners was they were there was a instance where they were on the red carpet and 
Amber Heard, he was being asked all these questions and Amber Heard wasn't. And you could visibly see that she was getting irritated. And most people, most women, when, you know, they were like putting their hair over their ear, it's, you know, it's, it's a normal pace or kind of slow to like accentuate something, you know, um, she did it so fast that Johnny Depp's eyes went wide, his pupils dilated and he jumped backwards. It's like, if that isn't a sign of abuse, I don't know what is. Cause he physically peeled back and thought he was about to get hit, but you could just see it on his face. And I was like, you can tell that that's somebody, whether he was return, you know, I'm not saying he didn't do anything wrong by any means, but in yeah. that moment, I recognize the abuse in that moment. So real yeah. quick, two things real quick. Um, so um, I would like to do an actual episode on abuse. If you guys are up for that, if you guys think you can do it. Yeah, I'm absolutely. Down. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, I think it's important to talk about. There might be too. tears. I'm going to try my but best, though. There will be tears, I can tell you. There that will be tears. Time. But um, I'll, we can talk about that off off uh, stream and all that, yeah. off recording. Because um, I kind of ran into ideas about doing that and everything. But I wanted to make sure that you guys thought about that, too, so we can go further into that. But I also want to say at the same time that though it does not um, – it doesn't justify anything, but – the person who is being abused, when they tend to get to that point of breaking, um, there is reactive abuse backwards, like back yep. at the abuser. Um, and I don't, and I don't want people to overlook or forget about that because it is something that happens. You will snap back. You will start fighting back with your words. You will start fighting back with uh, mental abuse. You will start fighting back with physical abuse if that's what's happening to you. All of that will come back out of you that person and like uh, towards the, uh, the abuser and yeah. it's, it's a very real thing. And, um, a lot of times that a lot of like really abusive relationships are probably not even that abusive either. Um, the abuser will use that and say that they are the victim <laughs> and they will turn it all around. And the situations that you were actually describing was like, they, they use all that power and control over the person and then as soon as that person says or gets the strength, the courage to sit there and say, I'm done, I'm leaving this, I, I'm going. Then the abuser turns around and goes, oh, no, baby, no, please, please, I'm going to do this. Yeah. I'm going to change. And what that is called is love bombing. And it's just yes. like you you have to pay attention because the abuser isn't always the, the one that looks like is the abuser. You have to remember that people are under a lot of pressure when they are being abused. And, and you know, don't forget gaslighting. Gaslighting. It, it's all, oh. like I said, this is a whole episode I'd like to do. Cause <laughs> I feel like we can really go deep into this because I think we all have something to say about abuse. We've all had our, our, uh, our experiences in abuse. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that need to know that there are people out here that have been able to recover to some degree and are uh, still viable and livable and it, there, there is an after period. There might, there, there might not be life after love, but there's life after. <laughs> after, abuse. <laughs> after abuse. You can have to leave that shit behind. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now, however, abuse 
funny enough, does somewhat tie into what we're doing tonight, what we're talking about tonight, because some of these women, I know my second woman that I chose to talk about tonight, it was a form of Stockholm, Stockholm syndrome and abuse. But I don't want to get into it just yet because I want um, Dark to have his chance to talk about his lady um, or to two ladies. I don't care which rotation we go in. But yeah, like abuse is somewhat a part of what we're talking about tonight. Why did these women have to pretend to be men? Why did they have their credit stolen from them? Because they're women and men could do that, right? That's a good, that's a good yeah, point. Yeah. An underlying thread here, I think, through all of our, or for many of our examples anyway, is, is going to be that systemic abuse that um, Molly's yeah. referring to, right? So yeah. like... You have someone like Nellie Bly who wants to write about things that are important, not just to women, but to society at large. Like, what are we yeah. doing to these, uh, you know, mental uh, women that either do have mental disorders or don't and are being claimed that they do just to get rid of them? Like, nobody cared about these women. That's an important issue. Nobody cared about the men that were locked up illegally in these facilities either. Yeah. So it yeah. had a, a massive impact on everyone, not just women. But they said, no, you need to toe the line and talk about dresses because yep. of that systemic, abusive, domineering uh, system that said women have to can only do this thing and they're not worthy of anything else, which I'll, I'll touch more on on my second uh, choice as well. Yeah, the, with the, that. The whole <laughs> The whole societal means of things that it, it it's it boggles my mind as to why people think women are the way you know that, and, and then they, they they sit on women who try and fight for this. I mean, it's just uh, it drives me crazy. I don't know. Yeah, don't but know. but that's the perfect entry to your lady, your first lady tonight. Tell us. Unless she's not a lady. If she's a savage, I'm down with that, too. Savage? <laughs> yeah, like, you know what I mean? Like, somebody who's just so <laughs> fucking... Like, uh, who was it that you mentioned? Uh, Lizzie Hol Holiday. The serial McGuire? killer. She... No, Lizzie, Lizzie Holiday. She, as soon as I saw her a picture around dark, uh, dark Wikipedia, I was going to say Wiki. I was like... Dark Wiki. A... Dark Wikipedia. <laughs> she's a savage. I don't know. Is that not a good word? I don't know if it's not a good word. I'm always second guessing. Well, she she's a it, she's a crazy lady. <laughs> I just I just found it funny with uh, using the word savage because my ladies are Native American. <laughs> oh oh my god no! <laughs> what? I'm sorry. I did not mean that in a rude way. I do apologize. I know you didn't. I know you didn't. <laughs> That's why I said I found it funny. That's why I was chuckling over here because I, I got the the subtext we're savages. Yeah, I did exactly. that. I did that. <laughs> oh. That's not at all what I meant. I know. Well, my my first one is actually her name's Mary Golda Ross, and Carl, you're actually going to like this one here. So born in 1908, Mary Golda Ross grew up in Park Hill, Oklahoma. Mary completed her undergraduate degree in mathematics at the Northwestern State Teachers College. She then went on to teach math and science in rural Oklahoma. She also spent time working as a statistician. St statistic. Statistician. statistician. 
statistician for the Bureau of Indian Affairs. So uh, in the year 1938, she had earned her master's degree from the Colorado State Teachers College in Greeley for astronomy. Uh, among her accolades, she also worked as an advisor to girls at the Santa Fe Indian School, an American boarding school in Santa Fe, uh, New Mexico. And while hired as a mathematician in 1942 in Lockheed, she worked at Lockheed, she began writing on the effects of pressure on the Lockheed P-38 Lightning. And if you don't know what the P-38 was, it was one of the fastest airplanes de uh, designed at the time. First military plane to fly faster than 400 miles per hour in level flight. Um, Mary Golda Ross also helped solve numerous design issues involved in flight and aeroelasticity. And she's got a resume. She yeah. she does. I'm still going here. <laughs> After World War One, uh, Lockheed sent uh, Mary to UCLA for professional certification in engineering. So I mean, while she was working at Lockheed, she wasn't even like certifiable, certifiably an engineer. She was just doing what she does. Uh, studies included math mathematics for modern engineering, aeronautics, and missile and celestial mechanics. In 1952, she worked for then-secret Skunk Works, where she worked on preliminary design concepts for interplanetary space travel. Um, let's see. Both crewed and uncrewed Earth-orbiting flights, earliest studies of orbiting satellites for defense and civilian purposes. She also worked on the Agena rocket project, which was a rocket developed to act as a recon satellite program and also a a prelim design concepts for flybys to Venus and Mars. Uh, most of Ross's papers are still classified to this day. Uh, Mary was also one of the authors of the NASA Planetary Flight Handbook, Volume 3, which was about space travel to Mars and uh, Venus. Before the end of her career, she became a senior advanced systems staff engineer sometime in the 1960s, working on the uh, Polaris reentry vehicle, Poseidon, and Trident missiles. Um, after retirement in 1973, Ross lived in Los Altos, uh, California, and recruited young women and Native American youth into engineering careers. She was a member of the Society of Women Engineers since the 50s. She also supported the American Indians in Science and Engineering Society and the Council of Energy Resource tri uh, Tribes. At the age of 96, wearing a traditional Cherokee dress made by her niece, she was a part of the opening ceremony of the National Museum of the American Indian uh, in Washington, D.C. And after she passed in 2008, 2008, wow. she was born when? Born in 1908, died in 2008. Wow. Af and after she passed, um, she still supported the museum because when she passed, she left $400,000 in an endowment towards the museum. Wow. Uh, as she helped open. She lived a hundred years. A hundred years, and the Ooh. the impact that she had. That's incredible. I find it, it it's it's incredible to me because uh, she was a Native American woman that did all this. Like yeah. she rose up from 1908 and did all of that. Like for being a uh, a Native American who is already suppressed and then being a native american woman who would probably be doubly suppressed because native american women sure. on top of that are also uh looked down upon as lower than dirt 
So, I mean, that's part of the reason why we have what you, you tried funding money for Carl was, uh, the missing native uh, women and children. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's part of why we have that because there's so many cases of uh, native women who go missing and get looked for, for maybe, you know, a day or two. And then it becomes a case that just gets closed or is still open, but not researched at all. Right. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to think of anybody going missing. And then for, Oh, just the whole thing. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying not to tangent. No, no, please. Oh, tangent, that's the idea. That's, that's what we do here. Please. <laughs> I just, I just think it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Like how can someone place such little value or less value than anyone else to it? It's like no one cares and, and it's mm-hmm. like screaming and no one can hear you or they can hear you and they don't care that you're screaming and you're like, what do I have to do to get your attention to get you to realize this is important? You know, people mm-hmm. going missing is, it's not a joke and it happens all the time. I mean, you hit that nail on the head. Nobody, it's, it's literally some people, there's a lot of people out there that still just don't care, just depending on your race, your ethnicity. And then being a woman, they get doubly not cared about because it's like, well, we've got, we've got mm-hmm. more women. And this literally like the, the attitude some people have. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is it's, it's not a thing in the past. Like people are like, oh yeah, that happened in the past. She died in 2008 and I'm sorry, but this stuff is still happening and people are still being affected. People can go interview families who are still, who've still been affected by losing family members, like just taken out of their families, adopting them out to someone else because that was what was better for them. Right. To bring them up in, in, especially to bring them up in white families. And I just find that really gross, you know, like, yeah, that's so gross. And, and it, and it devastated people. It's hurt people. I mean, look what they did to those kids down at the border. That is inhumane and disgusting. And I can't believe I'm embarrassed as a citizen of this country that that took place here. And people did not, were not taking it seriously or they knew about it. It just wasn't their problem. Or right. the uh, the schools throughout Canada and the U.S. where they're finding yeah. you know mass graves of Native children. Yeah, I was gonna say not just Canada because America did the same thing with those schools, yep. all the boarding schools. My grandmother, my grandmother was one of the last kids that was taken away by boarding schools uh, in our in that area. Um, She's got tattoos on her arms. I I tried asking her about, and she's uh, she says that they're evil tattoos. Um, but they had to do with like the whole like mm. being taken away from the family and being you know basically barcoded, kind of just like uh, Jewish people. Yep. Disgusting. And, and I wanted uh, wanted oh. to throw out a, a statistic. I I put it on my stream when we were doing the the uh, fundraiser. But according to the Bureau of Indian Affairs, the BIA. In 2016, this was back in 2016, so it's only risen since then. Uh, there were 5,712 reported cases of missing Native women and girls. But of those 5,712 reports, only 116 cases were opened to investigate. Yeah, I mean, see, that. I mean, that, that just kind of shows, like, what, what, how much do people really care when it comes to these things? Yeah. 
they he, care I mean, when. Not... Sorry, I was gonna say they they care when it gives them something when they get something out of it, whether it's fame or you know appreciation mm-hmm. or just anybody else thinking that they're a good person. Like they care when they get something out of it, mm-hmm. and that's the saddest. That's just the saddest part of it, and and it and it hurts. Like it physically hurts me. I can feel it heavy in my chest. Mm-hmm. You know, because there's so much suffering that's still going on today. And no matter how much you scream and, and rant and, and riot or or just protest, they'll just yeah. kind of wait you out and do keep going on with their lives. And it's like, what do we have to do to get people to realize that this isn't just a thing of the past? This is still happening. Somebody do something about this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just, it's just like I said, it's just so heavy. I can feel it. It's heavy. Mm-hmm. it's it's one of those things literally like one of those things like um if we had be if we're able to like become a bit just a bit more unified something might change like there's there's no unification with anything anymore i mean we there's groups of people that are able to unify for a small cause or a, a smaller cause co- considering or comparatively to uh, the bigger things happening in the world but we're not able to unify those small groups because there's always some sort of disagreement that separates them. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, we have a situ- we have situations now. It's like, I remember, and I'm not saying no one, des- certain people did not deserve to be rescued. I want to just make that abundantly clear. But while I was uh, on active duty and a little bit after we had several uh, soldiers go missing in uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, and Kuwait. While some of them had been missing for months or even a year or more and were African-American females or African-American males or Hispanic males or Hispanic females missing for that length of time, when a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, white female went missing, all of our resources went to that case and we had to find them as quickly as possible. I'm yep. not saying any of none of the, I'm not saying any of them deserved anything less. I'm not saying she didn't deserve to be rescued, No, but a bit it's equality, right? Yeah. But it's they like, all, the, the other people did too, but the other yeah, individuals absolutely. also absolutely. did. And so it's like, if you're going to do it for her, why aren't you doing the exact same thing for everyone else? Like, yep. and, and the, you know, what's the difference? we like to say, Oh, it's a thing of the past. Like you were saying, and, and you hear from, I've recently heard it this year from people. Well, you know, they like to, they bring up, oh, well, slavery was this long ago, or, uh, well, we passed the native American act this far back ago. And it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah, we did, but we still have work to do. And you can see it every single day where you can go onto TikTok and go to uh, pages from people that live on reservations and their water is jet black because we're dumping oil byproduct into their water supply. And yet can, we want to run a pipeline straight through, through, through all those lands all the same. Yeah. And, you know, if you go back far enough, like we, we made a deal during the French and Indian war, as it was named to, if you help us push back the, you know, push these the French back and everything, we will only own the East Coast and everything else stays yours. And then other countries said, well, we don't have that agreement. 
So they came in and, and established stuff on the, you know, west of the colonies. And then we buy the Louisiana purchase area when we have no right to it. And the people that are squatting on it have no right to it. And people have been living there for thousands upon thousands of years. And because our skin is lighter, we deserve to be able to buy it for pennies on the dollar. Like it makes no sense whatsoever. And we all recognize that it was wrong. But then we have people that turn around and go like, oh, yeah, it was wrong, but it's ours now. And like, we can't change anything. It's like the only thing like if we know the land was stolen, the only viable repayment is giving the land back and leaving these people to fuck alone. Like, yeah. I, don't, I just don't get it. Not to get off on too much of a tangent with that, but I just, I don't understand Will this you guys stop apologizing mindset. about the tangents? Never. Listen. Listen, it all works into the web somehow, okay? But it's, it's, to me, it's like the those numbers I read off are just, it's insane. And I don't know how anybody can hear those numbers and not understand that there's a systemic problem. Yeah. Well, see, that's, really part of that, that's part of the problem, though, is that, like, there are people who read those numbers and basically say, put me back in the matrix because they want to remain. Oh, what is it? hundred percent. You know, they don't, Ignor they don't um, care. They, yeah. Ignorant. They want to ignorant. remain ignorant because ignorant is bliss. Yep. Ignorance is bliss. And, and, I and just then there are other, those... other people that want to read those numbers or do read those numbers and might want to do something, but don't know how to do anything and remain silent because they're not going to ask, how can I help? And then there's the third group that says, well, they're not coming after me yet. You know, right. they, they, came, they came after the Jewish people, but I'm not Jewish, so it doesn't affect me. Oh, they're going after Protestants. Well, I'm not Protestant. It doesn't affect me. And then by the end of, they keep going all to, after all these groups, and at the very end, they're coming for you, and you're like, well, who's going to help me? Well, nobody's left to fucking help you. I, I've actually seen something else like that uh, more recently. Um, see, it had, to do, it, it had to do with women's rights. Um mm -hmm. Where, you know, when, um, excuse, excuse, excuse my more, I don't know how, how else to say this, but when white women were fighting for their rights, okay, they were fighting for rights, privileges, voting yep. rights, and all that stuff. Um, African American women, Chinese women, Japanese women, they were all backing all these women because they were like, yeah, we're women. We must fight for this stuff. We must get this done. And when it passed, what it passed was white women got their rights right yeah and so when african-american women chinese women japanese women, all the other women started saying okay now it's our turn. we need to do this we need to stand for our rights we need to stand for our privileges and they started doing that where were the white women you know they got all, I'm left. Sure, yeah exactly so yeah. i'm sure there was like a, there was probably some that like stuck around with them and everything but they weren't there for all the other women, like all the other women were there for them. And it's like, yep. if you're not getting something, then a lot of the times, a lot of people don't want to help. And, and I well, ran the, and oh. so I just wanted to say, I ran the percentages of those numbers that I set out there. 
it's le- it's just over 2% of cases are accepted for investigation. 2%. Wow. wow. That's a disgustingly low number. It's just, again, it's just heartbreaking. It really is. But it, it's important to feel that heartbreak. Otherwise, mm-hmm. if you turn your back to it, nothing will get done. So it's hard and it's heavy, but you have to face it. Even if it's hard and heavy, it's not going to go away just because you turn your back to it. You know? Right. Right. And um, that's why, like, I, I have a lot of younger people uh, at my job and people my age at my job that don't want to vote. And they're like, oh, what's the point? And, you know, all these things. And I'm like, well, they're going after women's rights. And I can show yeah. you, I can show you the evidence of that. And they go, well, that's up to women to fight for it. Like, th- that's up to them to vote it down or whatever. And I'm like, but, okay, so what if... Um, they came after your body and it was like, well, what do you mean? So what if there was a law on the books or being, you know, a bill was being put to the floor in Congress that said, you don't have a choice the moment you turn 16 or 15 or, you know, go through puberty, whatever, you have to go to a doctor and get a vasectomy until you reach a mature age, let's say 21 for shits and gigs. And can prove that you're ready to financially, emotionally, and, you know, behaviorally handle raising a child, then you can get it reversed. Well, I'd be against that. Well, would you fight for it? Well, yeah. Would you expect other people to fight for it? Well, yeah. Well, if that's the case and you don't stand up for women now, you think they're going to stand up for you tomorrow? Like there's not going to be anybody left to fight for you. If you, like we said before, and you know, a lot of people don't want to stand with the LGBTQ community because, well, I'm not in that community, but if they get rid of our community, whose community is going to be next? Are you going to help them if you're not a part of it? And then if it comes down to your community, who's left to help you? Like we all have to work together to say, no, if group a gets the right, B through Z get the right and, and actually stand up and fight together. We're all going to lose everything. Absolutely. But trying to convey that is an uphill battle. (laughs) Well, and I think the thing that, that can be really hard to talk about is not all of people who are ignorant and stubborn and just really heartless Mm. are this way but there's a fear there and that's what you have to understand to defeat something. You really have to understand what it is that you're fighting against. And the thing Mm -hmm. that that it is, is people are afraid that if they get involved, they will lose something important to them. Right. That if, like you were saying, like what happened to all the white women, it's like, yeah, that was your chance to stand with all the other women and say, yeah, we got our rights. Now it's time for everyone else to get their rights too. But it was like they, they got that brief moment of relief. Mm-hmm. It was, I'm afraid if I stand up, I will also now lose what little I had. And again, it's not all of them, but there is a majority of people there. And it's, like I said, to defeat it, you have to understand where it's coming from. Mm. Racism, sexism, a lot of that is fear-based. It's oh, it's based all out fear-based. Of, yeah, yeah. It, it's based out of fear. And it's like, you can't fight fear with hatred, Right. You have That's to fight the, it with compassion, but compassion within boundaries, right? 
Yeah, it, it's like I can be tolerant of something, but I don't have to support it, kind of thing. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's the the fear of the other has been used for everything, all the way down yeah. to demonizing Hispanic people by saying, "Oh, marijuana is what makes them lazy." So we're going to go after all of them because they're the ones that have the stuff. And then we're going to turn around and demonize marijuana itself because if we make that criminalized, we can then apply it to any other group that we want to. And after they got rid of the Hispanic issue that they wanted to get rid of, they turned it on African-Americans and then they turned it on whoever they turned it on to the white hippie community. Even they went after they just use it as a tool. And that's what yeah. it is. Like they develop this us versus them. They get us to see that group as less than human. Then they weaponize it. And once they have that tool provided to them through fear, they just keep hitting everybody with it. They don't care who the target is anymore. Exactly. Well, so what, what, to what Tief was saying about like the, the fear and everything with, with like the, the women fighting for like the rights and stuff like yeah. that. Um, like the Japanese and Chinese women, you didn't think that they had a fear of like being booted back out of the country or the black women oh, yeah. having to like deal with all that. I mean, they were still standing up there and doing it though with white women. And so yeah. I still, it's, it's so, it's still so frustrating because there was still unification happening by all these different races. Mm-hmm. And yet when it came to like the minority races, like standing up to try and get their rights and their ability to fight, Nobody else was there, and that's what's frustrating oh, no. me because the 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 white women, if they had a fear of losing what they just got, imagine the fear that all these other people are having. Like I just yeah, it's it's cowardice. I'm not excusing their behavior at all. I was merely trying to explain like that that may have happened with them or may not have. Mm-hmm. However, in I know that in today a lot of the racism is and hatred and sexism. It, it's based off of fear. And that's where the yeah. ignorance comes from. We fear what we don't understand or what we don't know. And yep. that ignorance causes fear, which causes a lot of other domino effect, toxic shit to just pour out of you. Like be like you produce it like a bodily chemical. Right. And, and it, and it's wrong and it shouldn't be excused, but I want to get rid of it. Right. Yeah. I want to get rid of it ultimately. And so I'm trying to understand that it's fear. It's, it's not, it's fear. And how are we going to fight fear? Right. We can't fight yeah. fear with fear. We've got to, and I'm not saying, Oh, we should just love and accept them and let them keep being <laughs> racist pieces of shit. Right. I'm not saying that. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, is like, understand what it is so that we can once and for all, eventually one day get rid of it because it kind of is, it's, it's, 2022 and we're still mm. still dealing with this shit right and I, I i'm starting to feel like it's never racism is well, never going to go away but my hope is that it will I, I think i think and that I, racism and sexism are ironically easy to solve the problem is is that as a country and as a society we don't want to let go because if we did certain things generationally we could get rid of it through attrition and what i mean by that is like if we take the issue of racism right racism is a learned behavior period full stop right so if it's a learned behavior what does it require 
it requires you to have terminology in order to do the us versus them argument. You need to be able to see, say, this group of people has a title. We have a title. The titles are different. That's us. That's them. So with racism, that's white versus black, white versus brown, white versus whatever. If you remove the teaching of to any children that there's a difference in color and explain to them, no, like I explained to my son, he's like, well, some people have different, you know, their skin looks different. I say, right. It's a, there's a different melanin content in everybody's skin based on, you know, how much sun your aunt, your great, 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 great grandfather got is going to determine how much melanin you have in your skin. And those that had more sun exposure way back in the day have more melanin. It's just how that works. And he's like, what's that? It's like, oh, it's the thing that helps protect you from the sun. I was like, we don't have much of it because we're, our ancestors grew up. There was no damn sun. Like, what do you want to do? But if you explain, like kids understand this stuff and it's very easy for them to grasp. So if you don't Mm -hmm. teach them white, brown, black, and you don't teach them African-American, Hispanic-American, white American, you say, no, we're all Americans. And you remove that stuff from the vernacular. Is it going to solve it today? No. Is it going to solve it a generation from now when they're adults? No, but they're going to learn it. They're going to teach their kids that way. And their kids are going to teach their kids. And at that point it's eradicated. We can start the process now, but again, the issue is societally and culturally, we don't want to do that because as human beings, we have to compartmentalize things and we don't want to lose our labels because if we lose our labels, we don't know how to define things and we can't do the us versus them argument. So it's a, it's a human condition thing, but it's also a, a societal and cultural shift that we need to do. But trying to get everybody on that train is very difficult. Agreed. Yeah. I'm, I wasn't saying that you were wrong, Teeth, about the fear thing or anything like that. Oh. I'm just, I was, I was just trying to say that it, it just boggles my mind that that, that I mean that that's that's what it is exactly, and it's it's so aggravating to me. Yeah, I mean because, uh, it's it's aggravating. Yeah, the just stop, ahead, <laughs> just stop, just stop, like the the whole like having to have a benefit for your action, like. It's not always going to be like that. And it shouldn't always be like that just to help a fellow human being. I mean, it's just, I I can't stand it. And like, I'm guilty of having that action myself. I think we all are at some point where we want to have something come from something that we've done, whether it be a hard or a difficult task or easy task. We want something back in return, but it's not always like that. And it shouldn't always be like that when it comes to another human's like setting and condition. Yeah, and I think um, Clifton or Clifton Lincoln Park said it best: uh, "The sun doesn't give light to the moon, assuming the moon is going to owe it one." Right. So we need yeah. to just be willing to give without having, without ever having that ulterior motive. Well, what am I? They're going to owe me one in the future. No, somebody needs something. You know, someone asks you for help, you help them. Period. Um, but again, that's a societal and cultural shift that. And a human conditional shift, right? If we're going to be successful on this planet as a species and any other planet in the future as a species, we have to be able to 100% work together across the planet. And we're just, we're not there, unfortunately. Agreed. We're really not. 
I don't even feel like we're close. I feel like we're yeah. actually moving farther away. <laughs> Why it's are like, we taking like, steps backwards? It, well, it's, that, it's not it's not even steps anymore. We're just all like gliding down a sl- like a icy like slope, just yep. at a forty five degree angle. We're all just standing there, just sliding it down. Like, Super Mario sixty four penguins. That's all we are. Yeah. Oh exactly. my! <laughs> Tossed off the edge. Too that's too hard. Too hard. Well, you know, I, I know uh, Isaiah's going to like this part. That's what happens when you're a type zero civilization. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I think I remember that episode, vaguely. It wasn't, it wasn't too many episodes ago. Yeah, I, I think I remember that. <laughs> well, you know, what's funny is... We're talking about overthrowing. <laughs> no. we're, we're talking about, you know, changing the cultural or systemic norms as we know it. <laughs> and the other lady that I wanted to talk about tonight um, was alive during the French Revolution. <laughs> so, <laughs> very controversial time. <laughs> um, but that I want to. pivot. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I want to say her name right. It's uh, Marie Anne Paul's Lavoise. Lavoise. Yeah, I think I'm trying to say that right. You did it better uh, than I would have. So she's French, obviously, uh, <laughs> and um, she was born in. I started. I didn't do as much research as you guys. You guys are very thorough, but uh, she was born um, in France. On January 20th, uh, 1758. Um, So there, before, during her time, let me just preface it this way. During her lifetime, there was a change in science. Science, another science person. I like science. Okay. Um, We're all kind of familiar with alchemy, I'm sure. Um, But alchemy was science. It was scientific laws. It was science. Everything was like people lived by it. Um, they also died by it, um, up until, uh, sometime during her lifetime, um, her husband, her first husband, I believe. Um, I don't think she was, she was engaged to someone else before him, but, um, Antoine Lavoise, that's how you say his name. He's considered the father of chemistry, um, because he, created chemistry from alchemy. He evolved alchemy into chemistry. So it's a whole nother. In fact, my chemistry professor told me that it's not, they're not the same thing. They have a lot of similarities. There's an alchemic uh, periodic table, just like you have the periodic table of elements in chemistry. Um, But he, 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 he invented chemistry as we know, that's why he's called the father of uh, chemistry. Um, So she was 13. Um, her father was a French nobleman. Um, he, Jacques Pauls, uh, I believe his name is, he was a financer. Um, and he worked for a place, I don't know how to pronounce it in French, but it's called the General Farm. And it was basically like a, just a financing business of some sort. Um, anyways. A bank? It wasn't a bank. They were like financers. I I, I forgot the word to use. Loan sharks. <laughs> Close. Mafia. No. They um 
I'm making an offer you can't refuse. <laughs> like, hey. like, like investors of sorts, right? Like people would come to them and be like, manage my money for me, essentially. Um, I believe this is what it's called the general farm. I think that's what the business is about. Um, but um, she was 13 and one of the clients, um, I think it was a client, um, he was 50 years old and his, I can't pronounce his name. Um, it's Count D'Ambral, I think that's how you say it. Um, he's 50, yes, Count Dooku. He, uh, he basically threatened her father uh, that he would lose his business, he'd lose his job if he didn't accept his marriage proposal for his 13-year-old daughter. Which is just absurd. And I know that there was... That's common in history for old men to marry young women. Doesn't make it any less skeezy, okay? (laughs) Doesn't make it less creepy. Doesn't make it any less cringeworthy to think about it. And so he was threatening his father. And so, or her father. So her father, uh, I don't, I don't know why. There was no explanation as to why he thought this was a good idea. So instead, he married his 13-year-old daughter off to his uh one of his partners in the business which was antoine lavoise lavoise i think yeah keep pronouncing it wrong anyways um so he was 28 she was 13 not as bad still kind of gross um but he was the father of chemistry so he invented chemistry as we know it and there's been a lot of other contributors along the way people who um discover elements elements are being discovered all the time um Synthetic elements. I don't want to get into that. <laughs> um, so um, he's this really powerful person. And then he had this wife. Um, she was a painter. Um, she was also trained um, by two of his uh, scientist friends in the ways of chemistry, um, along with obviously him. Um, and uh, she was a painter. She had been a uh, she received formal training in painting um, and art. And so he would come up with these, I don't want to say symbols, but he would come up with discoveries and she would help him by creating a visualization visualization of what he had created. Um, Now, this is the part that gets, there are, some speculations, so it's never been concrete, but there was a lot of, I don't want to say rumors, because they were more than rumors. Um, circumstantial evidence, I guess, is what people would call it now, um, that she actually was the one who had just made a lot of discoveries, hmm. because um, you could see it, like, in her art, Um and the accuracy, you know, it, it's it's difficult when you explain something that someone else has never seen before and you tell them what to do. And, you know, they, they always get it a little bit off. She was very accurate with her drawings. She knew it was almost like she knew these these uh, not equations, but she she knew this information so well like by heart backwards and forwards that there was those rumors that she had actually had helped him, um, with a lot of his discovery, which would be cool. Um, but, um, he was arrested, 
um, for being an aristocrat during the French Revolution. So is her father. Uh, she pleaded um, that he was very important to science, that he'd be very important to the future of France, whatever the future may be. Um, but they chose to behead him anyways. Um, her father and her husband were both beheaded on the same day uh, by a guillotine. Um, really sad, really, really sad day for her. Um, so she actually ended up becoming really bitter after that. Um, she lost all of her money, lost everything. And they, most importantly, they seized all of her husband's work, um, which some of that was her work. Um, and whether she actually came up with the new discoveries herself or she just supported him, um, she did a lot of of work in at least the visualization and, and she studied chemistry and she studied science very hard without being able to call herself a scientist. She still learned everything that she learned so that she could be involved. Um, and so they seized all of that work. Um, it was, I don't know how many years it was, but um, after a certain amount of years, um, she did end up um, getting some of that um, equipment back um, she was able to continue studying, continue working in the field of chemistry. I do believe the, um, yeah, she was able to recover nearly all of Lavoisier's notebooks and chemical apparatuses, most of which survived in a collection um, at Cornell University, the largest of its kind outside of Europe. Um, so the year she died, a book was published showing that, that Marie Anne had a rich, theological library with books that included versions of the Bible. I don't know why the Bible is important, but apparently it is. <laughs> but, she's um, got those old Bibles that uh, have some of the more original language. In them. Right? So the old, she had like a collection of Bibles, I guess, um, which is interesting to see that she was such a, a woman of science, but mm -hmm. she also was a woman of faith. And that's something that sometimes it's, it's really beautiful to see that. Um, so there's no concrete evidence that suggests, uh, like hard facts. Nobody came out of the woodwork and was like, yeah, it was her work, you know, but there's a lot of that evidence, um, throughout their work together that suggests that she had more of an influence on the work, um, and discovery of chemistry as we know it, um, than credit was given to her. In fact, I didn't even know who she was until I looked up the father of chemistry and then was like, oh, what was his wife's name? And then it kind of like trickled down through there. But in chemistry, you never really hear about her, even though she had a lot of influence on the this entire field of study. So. And uh, she wasn't, was she just, she wasn't just science, right? She had something to do with artistic training and contribution yeah. as well, right? Yeah, she did. And she put a lot of uh, visualization to chemistry as it was being born. Right. So it was a lot of her illustrations and paintings that they used um, to illustrate how chemistry works around us, um, especially then they didn't have the equipment that we do now. I mean, they had some equipment. OK, but not like we do now. So right. to be able to show that and, and illustrate what's happening in chemistry in the way that she did is really powerful as well. She uh, she even did a a portrait of Benjamin Franklin. 
Oh, yeah. And then her, her second cool. husband's name was Benjamin Thompson, and they did not stay together very long. Um, and it's suspected that one of the reasons for their dissolving of their union was because she refused to take his last name. <laughs> she was like, no, I want my own name. <laughs> no, 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 no. Which is so badass, okay? Like, I really love her for that. 1700s, like, widower or widow, and she's like, no, I don't want you last name. Screw it. <laughs> so back, back then, the whole, like, owning your wife was really prominent but like anymore it's still like there's still guys that get so offended over a, a woman wanting to keep their last name and it doesn't it i don't get it because yep. they why not what what's the big deal so a lot, right. of, a lot of people run hyphens there's a mm -hmm. lot of people that just you know keep their last name but do a lot of legal work with the the married name and i i don't i don't i don't know i don't get it if you want to see people lose their shit, uh, have the guy take the wife's name. Oh, yeah. Look, people if my last name is better. Function. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> I had to go through a name. I went through a name change period myself, and I had people telling me, you can't do that. You can't change your name. I was like, why can't I change my name? And, right? Yeah, like they were like, because you can't do that. And I was like, no, here, like, I when I went to the DMV and to Social Security, I literally had to show them the law that said that I could change my name. Yeah. Like, they just refused to do it. They couldn't wrap their head around it. Mind-blowing, isn't it? Yeah. So it's but like it's expected of the woman. I, I, I've been engaged more than once in my life, sadly, but... Um, the last person I was engaged to before I married the man, um, he told me, I was like, I don't want to take your last name. I think I should just keep the last name that I have. You keep the last name that you have. And that's fine. And he was like, if you don't take my last name, and he was livid about it. It was one of the reasons why our relationship dissolved, because it was like, you have to. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, are you branding me? Am I cattle right now? Like, I have to take your name. Like, whoa. So, yeah, it's a huge red flag when somebody's like that aggressive about names, but it's so common, right? Yeah. It's just expected. I mean, that's, and that's realistically what it is. It's a point of pride and ownership by the guy wanting yeah. to have his name on something. If a guy could put his name on a truck, he'll put his name on a truck. If a guy can put his name, if a guy can put his name on anything, it's, it's a whole ownership thing. They're like, mm -hmm. yep, that's mine. And it's like, okay, cool. Good I job. Eat on that rock. That's my rock. Exactly. <laughs> I was about to say that. Perfect. Yep. Yep. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Robin Williams had a great bit about that. He's like, like cats and dogs piss on stuff to claim he's like thank god men aren't like that like walking by your neighbor's truck <laughs> mine now yeah right <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> but i i really love that about her like yeah she was like i don't care that it's the 1700s i don't want your name <laughs> that's awesome that is awesome well, who wants to go from lavoisier to thompson right right <laughs> His like, official name now. was Count Count Rumford. <laughs> That's cool. Go with that, man. 
Count what now? That that makes Rum, me think of Rumford. Uh, Rum. That, bum, bum, bum. that makes me think of Shrek. <laughs> oh my gosh, he kind of looks like uh, what's the guy's Lord name? Lord Farquaad. Lord Farquaad. Yeah, he does. He kind of looks like. <laughs> he huffed oh and he puffed and he shined the eviction notice. Yeah, I will. I have oh that message to you. <laughs> yeah, he does. I, I, I found this. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does. Found, yeah, this is one of the, and, uh... the pictures of her, and she's like, even in this depiction of her, it's like, She's you like, no, no, no. I'm the boss, bitch. He's just here. <laughs> like, guys, share those in. We're recording right now. Share in. There you go, Carl. <laughs> share in information. Look, I'm just trying to be polite. <laughs> We're talking about a guy that wanted to own his wife. What does he get? Why does he get to have the politeness? <laughs> Yeah, that that picture of Holiday, that's the one that I saw, and I was like, man, she's wild. (laughs) She's a wild lady. (laughs) She she reminds me of the the woman that's uh, detained in uh, The Hateful Eight. (laughs) She she looks a lot like her. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Why would this picture just... Okay, there we go. There we go. But anyways, that is her second husband. Their marriage didn't last. Sometimes looks like he's got a stick up his ass. Right? And that's like, I, it looks like he's smiling, right? It looks maybe, like he's happy. Maybe, <laughs> he's maybe so... he found a witch's, maybe he found the witch's broom was trying to ride it. <laughs> <laughs> looks like he forgot the ointment. No. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh. Remember to shellac your brooms if you're going to ride them. Yep. Shellac it correctly. <laughs> right, ointment. Absolutely. Right. You got to make sure everything fits right. I'm sure you do. <laughs> <laughs> can't, just be, can't just be doing it willy nilly now. Sorry. So- now we can segue. <laughs> Speaking of women that didn't take any shit, uh, my, my uh, second draft pick here. Is uh, Margaret Ann Bulkley, which who is better known as James Barry, the military surgeon in the British Army, uh, originally from the city of Cork in Ireland. Uh, Barry obtained a medical degree from the University of Edinburgh Medical School in Cape Town, South medical. Africa, uh, so, which was subsequently part of the British Empire. Uh, before retirement, Barry had risen to the rank of Inspector General, uh, which is equivalent to a Brigadier General today, in charge of military hospitals, the second highest medical officer in the British Army. Barry not only improved conditions for the wounded soldiers, but also the conditions of the native inhabitants and performed the first recorded cesarean section by a European in Africa in which both the mother and the child survived the operation. Although Barry's entire adult life, uh, she lived as a man. Uh, Her name was Margaret Ann at birth and was known as female in childhood. 
Uh, Barry lived as a man both publicly and privately, at least in part in order to be accepted as a university student and pursue a career as a surgeon. Her biological sex became known to the public and to the military colleagues only after a post-mortem examination. So she was able to fool everyone into believing that she was a man named James Barry all the way until she died. And only during the autopsy did they realize they had not been correct in uh, the assumption of gender. (laughs) That is her last thought before she dies, right? Oh, They're that was your know. life. Fuck you. <laughs> gotcha, motherfucker. <laughs> I assure you, she died with a smile on her face. <laughs> oh, God, I hope they so. Go, yeah, you just wait for that autopsy. Yeah. You know what? Everybody's going to know. <laughs> what would they know? Um, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> when she became a teenager... Uh, She was educated with the prospect of originally becoming a tutor, uh, but given a lack of evidence of any, you know, uh, viable work history, uh, the, her family, the Bulkleys uh, were struggling to find positions for her to fill. Uh, So Dr. Uh, Edward Fryer became her personal tutor uh, to enable Barry to enter medical school the University of Edinburgh was chosen and uh, Marianne and Barry boarded on 18 November, 1809. Uh, So Margaret Ann Bulkley had to become James Barry, the nephew of the late James Barry RA and had to maintain this persona for 56 years. Uh, So any letter uh, Barry had to ask for any letters that were addressed to the female name of Margaret Buckley to be forwarded to Marianne Buckley, her aunt, quote unquote, so that she could re- be like, oh, I'll deliver those to my aunt and discreetly read them and answer them as her female self. Um, let's see. She joined the army as a lieutenant in December of 1815, was posted in Cape Town uh, and the, uh, served, She, uh, I'm sorry, she obtained a letter of introduction to the governor, Lieutenant General Lord Charles Somerset. Uh, he appointed her as his, his colonial medical inspector uh, which brought great responsibility over the 10 years of work in the Cape. She uh, improved sanitation and water systems, improved condition for enslaved people, prisoners, as well as the mentally ill, and a uh, developed a provision of a sanctuary for leper populations. She performed, performed the first successful... Performed! Sus- she took their germs. Uh, she performed one of the first known uh, successful cesarean sections in which both mother and do- mother and child survived. Uh, the child was actually christened James Barry Munich in her honor. Uh, and the name but- has been passed down through the family uh, and uh, leading to Barry's name 
being born by a later prime minister of South Africa, JBM Herzog. Uh, she was promoted to surgeon of the forces in 1827, uh, which she was posted to Jamaica and St. Helena. To when she went uh, posted to Leeward Islands and Windward Islands, she uh, dealt with and uh, she dealt with and contained a cholera epidemic, which broke out in 1850s, 1850 rather. Uh, in her position as the Inspector General of Hospitals, she fought for better food, sanitation, and proper medical care for prisoners and lepers, as well as soldiers and their families. Uh, the local rank was confirmed as substantive in 1858. Uh, upon, despite protesting uh, her retirement, uh, she was retired in July 1859 of health, ill health and old age by David Dumbrick. After a quiet retirement, she finally died from dysentery July 1865. The identity of the woman who discovered the truth of Barry's physical sex is disputed, but she was probably the charwoman who was laid out, responsible for laying out the, uh, the corpse. And then after they found out that... Uh, Barry was born a female, Mary Ann Bulkley, in order to refute the idea that a woman was capable of completing all of these wondrous acts that James uh, Barry had been able to perform. They insisted that she must have been born intersex because that is the only way, quote, Dr. Barry couldn't have been a woman for women and medicine are contradictory terms. It is still too much to imagine that any female could perform as brilliantly as Dr. Barry could have done, end quote. So because uh, a woman uh, went by a the name James Barry and dressed as a man both in person, uh, publicly and privately, and racked up all of these exploits and was one of the best medical professionals to ever grace the British army. They said, well, nope, had to be intersex because women couldn't do it. Obviously, obviously. Uh, in 19, <laughs> uh, 1969, uh, her story was briefly told in Zoya Vosk, Rensenskaya's, oh, I'm sorry for that, uh, novel, The Girl in the Stormy Sea. In 1982, BBC Four uh, produced a, the first ever dramatic representation of James Barry in a 45-minute play called Dr. Barry. Uh, was rebroadcast in 2018. Uh, and from 1994 until February of 2019, there have been multiple plays and books uh, depicting James Berry, with one of the most famous ones being April 2018. Rachel Weiss uh, said that she is currently developing a biopic of James Berry and intends to produce and star in the film, but it has not yet been finished. 
Wow. So I want to see it. Yeah, that would be an awesome film. And I think the reason it's it hasn't finished yet, if I this is just opinion and supposition, would probably be due to all of the uh, um, asshole nature regarding uh, revolving around the trans community right now and uh, how they would try, like, they, there'd be a lot of hate on the film currently. So they might be trying to wait until there's a little bit more acceptance to, to push that out. And yeah, this episode's breaking my heart. Why did we choose to do this? <laughs> You're the one that chose it. <laughs> I suggested it. You don't have to take all that suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> no, this you is were, a good episode. This is you were you were so amped and ready for it, like by Tuesday last week and so they're going, <laughs> Carl and I don't choose until Sunday. And you're like, I got it, guys. Look, I just wanted time to prepare and I still didn't have enough time to prepare, okay? But yeah. It's a good it's a good topic. I'm glad that we're talking about it. It's just heartbreaking. You know, we're touching on a lot of hard points tonight, but that's important. It, yeah, it, I mean it is heartbreaking, especially like knowing that these women gave such massive contributions and go unnoticed. But the great thing about a lot of these cases is how well documented that they, they made sure things were because it's almost as if part of them knew I'm not going to get credit today, but if we make sure this stuff is, you know, properly documented as best we can, eventually it's going to come out and eventually this, this ship's going to get righted. And we're starting to see that today on this podcast and, and abroad as well in other venues, like we're starting to see that push of, no, we need to tell the truth about history, no matter how uh, it makes us feel or what light it puts us or our ancestors in. Like we need to tell the truth and we need to give credit where it's due. And I think that's going to end up be being a beautiful thing. And it's, it's, it's a good thing to start doing. So I think, I think um, like with your guys is like kept people, not cares people that you did. <laughs> um, you guys like did people who like had credit stolen or had given credit to somebody else or had trouble, like being able to identify as to who they are and stuff like that, or had to hide who they are. Mm-hmm. As like the people that like the two people that I did, they didn't have those troubles, but they are people that don't get recognized. They're not names that kind of float around on people's tongues. They don't. They're not names that are popular in history books or the books that like you know follow any of this stuff or anything like that. So it's like, like I've never heard of Mary Golda Ross. I've never heard of her, but she's a Native no, American. I haven't either. And she did a shit ton of shit when it comes to like the aeronautics and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah and for her, there, for her work to still be classified, that blows my mind. There, there was a part that I didn't like write down, but, but I'm pop that's popping up in my head now. But um, there's like early days. She, uh, her biggest interest when she first started doing mathematics, mathematics with um, all the, the pressure and the aeroelasticity and stuff like that for the, uh, P98 or whatever. Um, 
she said that that her biggest interest was actually uh, astrological travel and stuff like that, like going out into space and all that stuff. She's like, but if I brought that up at that time, because she was interviewed later on, she was like, if I brought that up at that time, I would have been discredited like automatically. Oh, absolutely. Who was thinking about that at that time? The government. That was that. That was her. That was her big interest, though, was like wanting to travel into space and stuff. But she had that recognition. She's like, I would have been discredited. There would have been no way that I would have continued with my like my work and everything like yeah. that. But imagine wow. where it would be if like women like her were just given like no like you're you have a brain you're a human being your brain's just as good as ours and like just let them be part of the process from the get go as well as like imagine where it would be if like people like Nikola Tesla hadn't been railroaded robbed and uh, you know basically pushed out to an extent that we didn't get to see their brilliance until, you know, hundred or so years later. Right. Yeah. Where would we be technologically speaking, medically speaking, scientifically speaking, culturally, societally, like it's insane how far, like how different our society would look right now. Well, and it's like, and like some cases, some people, where would we be if we let them do what they were going to do? Yeah. Like, the the benefits the potential that could have happened to civilization because but but because they were held back or had the fear of like projecting themselves out to where they wanted to be or who they were yeah because of society it's like <laughs> i'd be saving uh, 200 dollars a month right now with that free wireless electricity <laughs> just potential you know, it, just, it reminds me like um i don't know if you've heard of this game settlers of catan yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So my family, back when I used to still have contact with my family, uh, we would have like these Friday night family game nights and we would all go over to one of our houses. Never mind. Never mind. Um, but they would set up, you know, Catan and we would play. And my family is horribly competitive. Okay. Mm. Just horribly. And, um, my brother, my, my younger brother, I will never forget. It was like the beginning of the game and I don't know. It, it was like, I just did something that made him mad. I got like one step ahead of him and he chose to rather than just continue to let the game play out and see if he had a chance to win or if I won, it's not really a big deal either way. It was just a game, but anyways, it was the mentality that this reminds me of he targeted both myself and him because our settlements, like how the game worked, our settlements were always together. And mm. he purposely, he was, I was like, you're going to lose the game too. And he said, I don't care just as long as you don't win. Yep. And it's like, <laughs> are you kidding me? That is so like, you're willing, like, this is, this is fun for you, knowing that I'm going to lose. That means more to you than actually trying to win the game yourself, right? Yep. And it's like, we could actually work together and get pretty far in this game, just the two of us, because we're, like, on everything the same. But instead, he's like, no, if I can't win, you're not going to win. And it's like, that mentality is the same thing. Like... Yeah. Well, I I don't care if I set civilization back. I don't care what the future brings, just as long as you don't get credit. It's like, it, what? 
and we're still seeing that that childish kind of mentality today. Like we have <laughs> the the railroad workers are on the verge of striking, and if they strike, nothing moves across the country, nothing at all. And all these big cats are like, well, I have everything I need for, and I can last for about you know twelve months. How long is your strike going to be able to last? How long are you going to be able to go without working? So we can just let the country burn in order to force you to do what we want you to do and not pay you time off. Like it's, you're willing to let everything burn for something that everybody else in this country already has paid time yeah. off. Those rich people are a whole different breed, man. A whole different breed. Yep. It's just like, there's no real logic behind it. it and it's no. really maddening in a way. Cause it's like, I don't understand why you're doing this. Like you do it. You have no reason, no purpose. This doesn't benefit you. <laughs> we kind of touched on, we touched on it on this person earlier too. It's like Musk bought Twitter because they didn't uh, want, they wouldn't let him do what he wanted to do on it. So he mm -hmm. bought it out of spite. And now he's like, oh, well, I lost a lot of money on this. So everybody's got to pay $8 for a check mark now so I can make my money back. And it's like, you only bought it because you hated them. Like, your ego caused this to happen. And now you want us to pay for your ego? Come on. Yep. Childish. Childish. It is. It is very childish. It's like... I, I I can't judge too hard because I've I have childish moments from time to time, but oh, I do all, strive do. to not. Right, but but I strive to not. I, I think that we all do. We try to like be, you know, decent people. But then there's these like some people who, it just it seems like they're okay with it. Like like <laughs> it's I, me. Like why are you okay with this? Like there is a level of pettiness that I am down with. Like a guy a, a guy. A, at work brought donuts for everybody right this one guy that's always a problem guy took the last donut and left the empty box with all the crumbs in it on the counter in the common space like if you take the last donut you close the box you throw the box out right right so one of our guys was like he really just did that and he explained the situation because he's the one that brought the donuts and i was like dude just take the box wait till he goes like he just walked out grab the box, walk back to his desk and shake all the crumbs out onto his keyboard and his chair and then throw the box out or put the box in his chair. Like I would have dumped all those sprinkles all over his keyboard and put the box in his chair. That's my even, level of petty. Even like, better, <laughs> dump, it in his, dump it in his drawer. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But the drawer that doesn't pull out. But my oh, no. my coworker was not that level of petty. So he's like, no, I don't want to deal with the guy. So he just bundled it up and he took it out himself. So the next time donuts came in and I grabbed the last donut, the guy that did it was in the area. So I said, hey, guys, look what I'm doing. I'm taking the last donut and I'm going to close this box up and be a polite human being and go throw it away. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. But that's my <laughs> level of petty. Like I'm gonna do that stuff. Does it does it make a difference? Should I be doing it? Probably not, but that's my childish little that's my childish moment, you know. That's we all have those moments of I'm gonna be a petty little bitch because I could be a petty little bitch today. And you know? I just fucking feel like it right now. <laughs> <laughs> like the guy 
like you're doing five miles over the speed limit and that guy's riding your bumper. Well, now I'm going to do two under just because I can, you know? That's um, me, though. Like, but it's, <laughs> here's the thing. If you are not speeding, then you should be in the right lane. Don't be in mm-hmm. my left lane, okay? <laughs> my daughter, she will tell me all the time, she's like, Mom, you can't drive this fast. And I'm like, I can when we need to get there. And I'm the only one who can get us there on time. I know I have a problem with it and I'm really working on it. So I don't want to speed all the time, but man. I'm, I'm doing it from, I'm trying to be better with it from a standpoint of just uh, like gas mileage and being, you know, trying to mm-hmm. conserve as best as I can and lower emissions and all that good stuff. It's like if you do the speed limit, you get there pretty much the same time as if you're speeding once you factor in traffic, stoplights, stop signs, and all this other stuff. It's like it's a minimal difference, and it, you're, you are saving gas and everything else. But it's like I feel like I'm moving so much slower if I'm not going faster. Yeah, for me, it's a time thing. Like I drive uh, – it's about an hour and a half from here to pick my daughter up, mm. So, and it's all highway. So I get on the highway and it's like, I'm looking at three hours minimum driving time. So yeah, I do. I speed when I'm on the highway and I'm really trying to not trying to cut back and letting my daughter remind me like, Hey mom, don't. Cause I, when I say I speed, I, I speed. (laughs) (laughs) It's not, it's not, it's not good. I really have to not do that, but I just get so tired of driving. Like I get tired of the hours that I lose, right? To any uh, authorities guys, watching this, by speeding, she means two miles over the speed limit. Yeah, it, that's exactly what I meant. <laughs> you guys don't mind too much. I'm going to grab another cup of coffee. No, go for it. Go for it. No, you guys no, keep chatting. Yeah. Keep chatting. Keep chatting. We absolutely will be talking about speeding and how little I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Um, I, I can't believe that, though, when, when Dark was saying, uh, he was explaining, like, you know, I don't understand the purpose of it. That story popped into my head about my brother, and it really yeah. is true. What a childish society we have matured into, right? Oh, <laughs> for sure. Like, uh, just looking at some of these bills that are out right now, like, um, mm-hmm. I like, it doesn't make any sense. It's like, oh, we not me specifically, but this group of people is like, oh, well, we're straight and we have rights already. So we need to put in a bill to make sure nobody else has our rights because they're not cool if everybody has them. It's not, you know, we can't say it's ours if everybody gets it. Like, how is that a mentality to have? Like, if I have a loaf of bread and you don't have a loaf of bread, am I going to eat the entire loaf? No. So if I cut you off a few slices, where's the harm? Like, it's not going yeah. to waste, and we're all getting a piece of this pie. Nope. If I have a loaf of bread, by God, it's my loaf of bread. I just like, I don't understand. Yeah. It's, right. well, uh, yeah, it's wasted. It's like there's so much to go around. Live and let live, truly. Like, like if I, you're not harming anyone and they're not harming you, who fucking cares? And if it right? doesn't affect you, exactly. why do you care so much? Like, if it doesn't affect you and you 
supporting the change doesn't impact you and you not supporting the change doesn't impact you, why would you stop it from being a thing? Like it doesn't, if it doesn't harm you and it's helping somebody else, why stop it? So, I mean, sorry, go ahead. I just kind of came back in on this, but I wanted to say something real quick. Like the amount of people that I have seen that sit there and say, oh, the the pronouns, they they don't affect me. No, they don't affect me. It's like, so why do you, why do you get like, are, are you upset about it? And they're like, no, it just, it doesn't affect me. It's just, I don't like it when they rub it in my face. And it's like, they're just what? letting you know that, that that's what they prefer. What are you going on about that? You don't want them to rub it in your face. I don't. My, I found. What? I, 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 I stumbled. Want them to Sorry, go ahead. I stumbled on this TikTok where the guy is like this, uh, she's this blonde Karen. She's like, I, my name's Christina and I'm 28 years old and I don't have no pronouns. And he's like, really? And he plays that old like conjunctions junction. What's your function show? And it's like, yeah. this is a pronoun because we have all of these names. And he's like, Rex has a T-Rex named Rex. And it's like this whole list of stuff. And he's like, but thanks to pronouns, we can just say we have them and they have us. See how easy it is now? It's like, y'all don't know what a pronoun is. And you're mad because somebody else is saying, hey, this is my pronoun. When you have pronouns too. Like pronouns are a thing we all use and it doesn't fucking matter. It's like if yeah. your name is James and somebody goes, hey, James, what's up? And you go, hey, you know, I prefer Jim. Are you going to go, fuck you, James? Yeah. No, exactly. you're going to call him Jim. Like, what? Exactly. <laughs> like a name. It, it, it is what it is. I mean, but they're sitting there just like throwing the biggest fit about it. And I don't get it. Like, and it's people like, just want to be recognized for who they are and what they are. My and fi- people want to like still control that. Sorry, and one, no, no, you're fine. When I was trying to jump in, in the, while you were talking, you're good. But. It's one of the ones, my favorite ones to just nitpick because it's so stupid is the whole, well, how can they, how can you call somebody they or them if it's just one person? That doesn't make any sense. I was like, really? So if somebody's name is one that you can't really tell just by the name, if it's a man or a woman and you have to address them in an email, what do you do? Or you have to address them to someone else, right? Well, you either, you can't say Mr. or Mrs. Shanahan because you don't know if it's a Mr. or a Miss. So what do you say? You say something along the lines of, well, what do they need? What is their issue? What can we do to help them? We all say it. It happens all the time. It doesn't make a lick of difference. Now, the only time it would make a lick of difference is if you're talking about multiple people. Oh, him, her, and they, them want to go to the store. Well, them could be all of them together or an individual person. And all that means is as a society and as a culture, we have to come up with a new term for plural people. Oh, my God. It's so hard to do. Like, it doesn't fucking matter. Just call people what they want to be called. If they want exactly. to be called fucking, if somebody, if I said, Hey Jim, 
how you doing? And he goes, no, you had to call me fuckbag. Be like, all right, dude, I'll call you fuckbag all day. I don't give a shit. Like, it doesn't hurt me. It doesn't It cause me any pain. It doesn't hurt my day. It doesn't cause anything to me at all. If you want to be called something, that's what I'm going to call you. It's called being a decent human being. Yeah. It's called well, giving somebody that recognition is what yeah. it is. I told my daughter that her name is my gift to her. And just like any gift, if you want to stop using it at any time, that's okay. It's your gift. You get to do what you want with it. I wouldn't buy somebody a present and then tell them what they need to do with that present. Right? Oh, my God. I hate that. And so I've been told, I've been gotten in trouble so many times. Like, I bought you that. You don't even use it. The fuck do you care? It's mine. Right? <laughs> and it's like, so if you decide that you don't want it anymore, that's okay. I'm excited for whatever it is that you choose for yourself. And she oh. loves her name, thankfully. But yeah, it's it, it's kind of nuts that people see it, it again. Their way of like stamping their child. This is mine. <laughs> so I, I actually had a conversation with somebody today, one of my friends, about. Uh, their name because she was talking about how she wanted to change her name to uh daisy and wow. she likes the name that's she just likes the name um but she wasn't sure about it she doesn't know how she feels about it because um her parents are she doesn't want to offend her parents she doesn't want her parents mad with her or anything i was like well you're on good terms with your parents right she's like yeah of course it's like okay well just go talk to them be like i want to change my name to this and you know that's that's what I want because that's the name I like. She's she's just about as old as I am, so it's like you're you how how you're an adult, okay? You can do that. You're you're allowed to. But if you really feel like it's going to offend your parents, then go talk to your parents. Be like, look, so I want to change my name to this. I want to legally make it that way, and mm -hmm. you know if it, I don't mind. Like if it really comes down, it'd be like I don't mind if you want to still call me by my birth name because you're my parents. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, I want to be known by this name. And it's like, you're allowed to do that. It's your name. I mean, I did. Marley's not my birth name. <laughs> I was gonna say, nobody, nobody is gonna go around and like sit there and de demand that you use your name because exactly what you guys say, you know, you're asking to be known by a certain name. Nope. So what's it, the big deal? If I exactly. went, if I went out tomorrow and legally change my first name to it doesn't matter what it is to anything right every not a single person after about two i'd give them like a week maybe where they you know kind of slip up and say the old name no one would think twice and they would be like well whatever and just call me by that name so if somebody has a preferred pronoun i don't understand what the issue is at all like it i, I just don't I don't understand it. I can't grasp it. Can't get my head around it. I can't yeah. either. I'm in the same boat. Like, I, I don't understand what the big deal is. And I, I don't understand what people are gaining by not doing it. Right? Like. On an individual basis, 100% yeah. agree. And I, I can't remember. I can't wrap my head around it. From a en masse thing to push as rhetoric. I understand why they're doing it because it's the us versus them thing, right? If yeah. you go, if you can convince people, hey, we don't have pronouns, and those freaks over there have pronouns, despite the fact that we all have fucking pronouns. Um, so, 
you can create that us them thing on the, on, the, on the individual level it's simply self-gratification they just want to have the ability to sit there and say i'm not going to do it power that, that, I, 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 that's my right blah blah, blah. exactly power and that's all it really is uh, it's, that's all it is on an individual level yeah there is everybody everybody feels like they need to not everybody a lot of people need to feel like they have <laughs> some sort of power over something I've some also noticed over something in their life. Yeah, and I've also noticed this weird thing where it's like uh, we were watching Shane and I were watching uh, Working Moms, a good show if you haven't seen it by the way. Um, but there's a scene where they're debating how they're going to raise this child, and one of them is adamant that it has to be a, a secular education, and then once they're old enough, they can make up their own mind religiously. The other one wants to have religion. And Shane was like, well, it's not just your kid. Like, what? And I was like, but whose rights and where, right? So if you want one thing and your partner wants another thing, you have to compromise to find a middle ground because your rights don't trump their rights. Their rights don't trump yours. And if you apply that same logic to anything societally, what we see is like we have one group of people that believe they have the right to believe what they believe. They have the right to spout that opinion. They have the right to live that opinion and belief in that lifestyle. But if somebody else's same things on their end conflict with that, their rights trump the other person's rights. And it's like, that's not how this works. So if we have two different uh, viewpoints, neither person's rights outweigh the other person's rights, right? But when you analyze that in our current situation, calling somebody by their correct pronoun does not violate any of the rights, beliefs, or anything of the side that claims it's a violation. You're not infringing on them at all. But conversely, if you're saying, no, you have to adhere to my belief system, you're forcing them to do something against their belief system and is a violation of their rights. So it's ironic in a sense that the group claiming our rights are being violated because I have to call you she are the people violating the rights in the first place by enforcing their belief on somebody else. So that level of irony is kind of lost on them. Yeah, I agree. Teeth, Teeth you look yeah. tired. I am tired. Oh my gosh. It's been a <laughs> long couple of days. Yeah, okay, so small, small tangent. It's a funny story, so I'll try to make it short, though. My daughter, uh, this is her third attempt to get her driver's license, and the first two were my fault. I feel bad about it, whatever. We'd already talked about that. So she's getting her, she goes to get her driver's license. She texts me over the weekend to tell me that she lost her wallet that has her permit in it oh, that no. she needs in order to take this test. So she's looking, I'm doing research, calling places. I called the police department. I've called all the places she stopped at. She, they lost power at her dad's house. So she, the, when she talked to me, they were gone all day and they weren't back at the house because they were staying at his dad's house. No, wait, his mom's house, mom and dad, whatever. So she's like, mom, I don't have it. I don't know what I'm going to do. So the plan was, is that we wake up the crack of dawn, rush to secretary of state, 
get a paper permit printed out, and then drive an hour and a half to the testing site so that she could get tested. We were 20 minutes late, and we get there. And I, we had to stop for gas and stuff, and they're like, it's fine. So we get there, and she gets out of the car and runs inside, and then I go to turn the car on to, like, kind of get stuff ready for the instructor. And it says key not detected because we have a push to start car. Key not detected. I'm like, how is the key missing? <laughs> right? And I'm like freaking out. And I'm like, what's going on? So I'm like, Mari, you're not going to be able to take the test if we can't get the car to turn on. We're freaking out. Like, where did I lose the keys? Like, she's like, mom, she's like, it's just stacked against me. She's like, I just don't think I'm supposed to have it. And I was like, no. We're on a quest, Mara. We're on a quest to get you your freedom, to get you your, your license. And when whenever you hear about heroes going out on quests, it's never easy, okay? Mm. They meet a lot of setbacks. But no matter what, we're making this happen. And she's like, I don't know, Mom. I don't know. Freaking out. I pull the whole car apart. I look under the car. I call all the gas station. I'm calling all the places that we stopped. Brandon like takes time off of work in the morning to drive to the gas station to like look around to see if it like came off the car and was like, but it would have been in the car. The car wouldn't have started if the key hadn't been inside the car. I don't understand. <laughs> We're freaking out. I ended up renting the car, one of their cars, which is cool. It was like super decked out. It was all like decaled, like the flash and stuff. So she's driving this foreign car that she's never driven before, taking her road test. Oh, man. I had a car for her to take the test in. She, she did fine. She, she messed up a little bit, but she did fine. And we get back, and I'm like, well, I don't know how we're going to get home. Because <laughs> I can't get the car to start, and we're an hour and a half away from home. So I'm freaking out. Texting Brandon. I don't know what to do. He's going to have to come down here. We're going to have to spend $300 to get a new key, mm. like electric key thing from Toyota. Oh, I'm like stressed out. And I walk out of the bathroom and the instructor the entire time kept saying, why don't you just go like try to start it again? And I go out there and like, nope, no key detected. I'm trying everything. And so he's like, just go out there one more time and just, just give it a try. And I go out there and I push the start and the car fucking turns on. <laughs> I lost my shit. <laughs> I really did. Um, turns out she had the key in her pocket the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> so when she went inside, it was not to touch it because she had it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. And I asked her, I said, you sure you don't have it? She goes, mom, why would I have it? <laughs> why would you? Why wouldn't you? <laughs> You're the one that's going to be driving for the test. It makes sense for her to have it. <laughs> yes. So it's, I mean, it's a long, longer story than I meant it to be, but yeah, I'm tired. It's been a hectic couple of days. We've been like rushing around and then I had school all day today. So I didn't have mm. any time to work on school yesterday or the day before because I've been helping her. <laughs> well, we had our, <laughs> we, we had our two hour mark so we can finish up whenever, um, two hours Did is. I've Decent. It's not our three-hour usual anymore, but that's fine. Um, 
So we were go- going back to pronouns real quick, though, because I want to run a tangent real quick on pronouns again real quick. Yes. <laughs> go I, for I think it. I've already, I think I've already told uh, you about this before, Charles, this story. But so this is a bit of a story. Hopefully you'll stay awake long enough, Teeth. Um, I, I, I will. I can still hear you. I'm just going to run to the restroom really quick. I'll be right back. Um, so I went to the mall with my daughter and my son and my daughter's friend one time. It was This was probably a couple months back. Actually, it might have been last year. But so I didn't know that her friend who – as I knew was a female childhood friend for her. And she, uh, we, we all went to the mall. Well, before the mall, we went to the bookstore and the bookstore, we all got drinks and stuff like that. She got her drink on her own. So we went to the mall and in the cup holder, I saw her cup and it had the name on it. And (laughs) when we got out of the car, I noticed her cup and the cup said Peter on it. Not a name I knew her by, but so I, I stopped and I looked at her and I said, so did they write the wrong name? Did you get the wrong cup? She goes, no. I was like, so is that what you want to know, be known by? And she's, she, they were like, yeah, Peter is what I want to be known by. I was like, okay. So we started walking a little bit and I stopped again and I turned around and I was like, so is it, do you go by he and him or they and them or what? And she's like, he and him. She goes by he and him. They go by he and him. And their name is Peter now. So I was like, oh, okay. So for the rest of the day, like, well, I looked over my daughter at like when they were gone and I looked over my daughter. I was like, why didn't, why didn't you tell me that they, they changed, they, that they want to go by something else. She's like, I didn't know. <laughs> My daughter was like, I, I didn't know. I was like, okay, all right. So for the rest of the weekend, while her friend was over, we referred to her friend as Peter and he and him because that's what they wanted. And it's that simple. Like nope. you yeah. just have a simple communication with a person that wants to have a pronoun specifically, you know, the way that they feel and the way that they identify as opposed to sitting there going, oh, well, no, what were you born with? Mm-mm. What's in your pants? Mm-mm. Nope. And it's just like, just why? Why make a big fuss about it and just be like, okay, well, you want your hair to be blonde. Your hair's blonde. Let go, let's go dye your hair blonde. It's blonde now. Great. You know, it, it's it's as simple as. Do what you it, want. It, like, it, live and let live. Live and let it, live. It just seems such, like such a simple thing to acknowledge that. And it's just, it's, it seems so difficult for people. And, and I don't understand the, like this, it, to me, it's almost like it, it seems sick to like, yeah. why is it if you look at somebody and you go something about you that seems opposite of what I'm seeing. So instead of just being like, eh, whatever. I'm going to demand you drop your trousers so I can make sure my mind is right. Like why, what is Why do you care so much about somebody else's outward appearance that you have, you feel you're validated in, in trying to determine their sex assigned at birth? Like what do you care so much for? And the party it's, it's ironic again, 
the people claiming we need to protect the children are the ones that are like, but I need to fondle their junk to protect them. Like, so something, this doesn't compute. Think, something else I think is is hilarious is like old Jim Crow down the road that you know wants to sit there and demand that he sees what's in your pants. Also, probably has a buddy named George that lives two down two house two houses down the road from him. Who you know they talk about mowing the lawns and stuff. Probably tries dresses on upstairs while nobody's looking. Anyways, so it's like. What well, the fuck does that matter? <laughs> one of the funniest stats I saw was like the Bible Belt is the most anti-trans section of our country, and they have the highest per capita rate of downloaded transgender porn. <laughs> it's like it just doesn't compute to me. It's like it no, and even outside of those things, like what if again if it doesn't impact you. And it benefits somebody else. Why do you? Why are you fighting against it? It doesn't impact you at all. It doesn't harm you in any way. And it's helping somebody else. Why are you against it? Yeah, it causes it's, no no deficit on your end. No deficit on your end whatsoever. It's that it's that drop of power that poisons the it, blood. It really right? is. It all. It, it's just gonna. That's the only reason. That is the only reason that I have been able to find, you know, that's it. It's that, that tiny drop of power. And it's so addictive. Power is so addictive. They're constantly trying to chasing that high. It's the worst well, drug. And it's so also, addictive, too, that they'll believe anything that confirms that predetermined bias that allows them to have that control, too. Like, yeah. uh, when we go to Vermont, I have people t that thoroughly believe that furry is being a is being considered a gender which but to my knowledge has never been considered a gender it's been considered more of like a a uh, desire a i guess or a lifestyle yeah like it's, it's a, a good lifestyle way. you know lifestyle. but not not a gender and then they go no they're they're calling it a gender now and they're letting the kids pee and poop and litter boxes at school it's like I'm pretty sure with how many like eight <laughs> to six, eight to 18 year olds have cell phones. If there was one litter box in any school, it would be on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Oh, yeah. Like everyone would a hundred percent unequivocally know it to be true. And they're like, no, no, no. Jim, Jim's mother's cousin's sister's aunt works at the school and told me that it's like, no, you got the telephone game going on and you're gullible because it confirms your bias. Well, I Googled it just to see what happened, to see like and? what crazy story would pop up. And it and? says school, schools in, in, in big bolded letters, schools are not putting litter boxes in bathrooms <laughs> to attract <laughs> many children. As months of unfounded rumors have claimed. Yep. <laughs> Oh, wow. It says uh, those school districts have issued statements debunking the story multiple times. Some social media posts are still spreading this uh, fake information. That's nope. ridiculous. And again, why are you doing this? To create fear. Because, like, mm -hmm. that's gross. The idea of that is disgusting. Like, I'm grossed out by the thought of it. And it's like, oh, yeah, they can get gullible people or people mm -hmm. who just... They just don't want change. Change is uncomfortable. Well, they're comfortable where they're at, right? 
and I will say for the for the record that if you want to pee and poop in a litter box in the comfort of your own home, knock yourself out. Just please in public use the toilet. The the, the other the <laughs> other thing too is that um oh, damn it, I lost it. Um sorry. Damn it. Sorry. sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, it's it's the fact that there's change, that there's a difference in their world now. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's it's been like that forever. Mm-hmm. This is something oh, for that sure. kind of – something's abrasive against what the world you know now is now suddenly there rubbing, you know, shoulders with you. And I think and part like, of it – The world's part a of, whole different place now. I think part of it, too, is, is similar to what we see with CRT is the one, it's change, like you said, but also it's – you have to own as an older person, some like the generation before us would have to own what they did and admit it to their children. And they don't want to do that. They, they don't want to be confronted with their own choices. Similarly with the, the LGBTQIA community, if they have to admit, Oh yeah, we mistreated you. We shouldn't have done that it makes them look bad and they cannot stand to have a bad public image because of the way they were raised was very much. You had to put on this, you had to mask. Everybody had to think we were the perfect family. You had to have that mask on all the time. So they don't want to own anything that would tarnish that mask. Um, American beauty would be something like that. The movie American yeah. beauty. Everybody wanted a perfect family. Neither, nobody had a perfect family, but everybody was hiding the fact that they didn't have a perfect family from everybody else. Yep. But everybody's facade is cracked. Everybody. Oh yeah. Everybody spray painted their grass to make it look greener, man. Dude, the amount of people that were doing that during the pandemic, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, what <laughs> are we doing? We we talked about doing it at the golf course when I was working at the golf course. We're like, let's just go out there and spray paint everything because everything was dying, man. Yeah, that's sad. sad. It, it I definitely purposely watered my lawn. <laughs> well, we were up, in the Midwest. We were also having a drought. So. Yeah. Oh, well, I only had a really small patch of like a little garden, and I just would go out there and water it. There was, I I don't know where it was, but they had like, they had this dude with a big truck and he was driving slow down the road and his buddy had a backpack on that was hooked to the truck and he's just sitting there spray painting the grass on like in between the patches of sidewalk and shit. I'm like, why does it matter that much to see green? Like, just wait a while. It'll come back. Well, because if, yeah, exactly. Teeth. Um, when we go through life, we're just going through everyday shit, walking past a patch of grass. When we see green grass, it kind of shows health. It shows uh, uplifting. It brings uplifting stuff because everybody likes seeing, you know, forestry and all the green stuff being green. If it's all gray and it's all dead or it's all yellow, well, that's that's depressing. Just like Teeth is going through now. That's so sad and. That, yeah. if that if we cause a society to go through all that, we have a society that's starting to fail emotionally. Nobody wants that, 
because nobody can admit that that's a normal thing for human beings to have is that emotional state. And I think it's kind of ironic too, because if you look at like Las Vegas, Nevada is a great example. The, uh, the strip is all built up. Everything is done to make the strip as beautiful as possible Two, three streets down on any direction from that spot is all like it has slums and deteriorating buildings and uh, neglected neighborhoods and all this other stuff. And all the money that is made in the strip could help those communities. But that's not what people are looking at when they come to Vegas. So people so as a whole, the city doesn't care about those neighborhoods because they're not what's being seen. As long as the facade is intact. Everything behind the facade doesn't matter. I, I just it's, go ahead. I was going to ask: uh, Did we all actually touch on all of the women that we wanted to talk about tonight? I, I got mine. <laughs> well, we're you, out of time. You, you both, you both did, and that that's fine with me because I. These these other conversations are always something I'm always willing to touch on. I feel like um, even if, even if we did it like very often with just the pronouns, with uh, the the suppression of women, the suppression of minority, all that stuff, the abuse, all that stuff. Like I I don't care how often we speak about it because there's going to be times when somebody misses one episode and catches another episode. There's going to be people that need to hear something we might tell a different story other people might need to hear a different story and it's just a constant thing so that if we continue to just touch on this stuff like continuously that's completely okay with me and i'd rather touch on that rather than um ending an episode with just more facts about another human being which not to deter or take away from that it's just we're we're in the now right now and I want to make sure that people are cared and taken care of now. Absolutely. So. It's a beautiful statement. I love that. But still, I'm pretty sure you had a second woman that you wanted to talk about. I, I did. It was a Native American woman. Her name was Maria Tallchief, and she was actually a. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't something that was all like through like educational school and all that stuff. Like my first one, she was a ballerina and she was actually the first woman who became a prima ballerina. That she is was beautiful. also a native American woman. So the first one to become prima ballerina was also native American. That's beautiful. I'm so glad I bullied you into saying that. <laughs> that is beautiful, man. Well, I mean, I had, I had this whole page. These wow. Oh, geez. Not That's like impressive. <laughs> yeah, I'm so sorry. I really, I'm. You both did a lot more research than me, so next time we do a research episode, I'll be a little bit better prepared. I wasn't sure. Oh, no, you're, you're. Like I said, for me, I was doing so much other stuff that. Uh, yeah. That's why I wanted you to go first because I did all that research while you were doing your first one. <laughs> I did it's all fun. that research. I did all that research like two, like two hours before we. Before uh, what was it? A little bit before the podcast. <laughs> this we procrastinate, Chief. We procrastinate. We could, we oh, could, we could just time. decide this. We could make the subject decision 
right now. I, I think one of our episodes we decided it right before later. we started, like the oh, yeah. moment before I think we so, started. Yeah. But um, this time, this time around, I really do. Um, next episode, maybe even do the abuse episode. I, I just, yeah. I'm all for it, man. Anytime. Yeah, that sounds good. It's an important thing to touch on. I am sure that it'll reach out to a lot of people. With with the time of the season, the time of the year, um, all this stuff right now, it's. I think it's necessary to continue touching on different mental health stuff, even like outside of just like the podcast. We don't need to do it every episode of the podcast, obviously. And obviously we're not going to, but touching on mental health and all these other subjects, I think is very necessary and important right now. It's just this time period. Um, I know that I'm continuing through depression right now myself and Christmas coming up is not making me feel any better. <laughs> just seeing it in the distance, seeing it in the distance makes me uh, not so much cringe, just not very happy. Yeah. Um, there's Maybe things that are making too. my days happier. I think I, to- I don't know if I told you guys, I had a conversation with my daughter the other night about like the whole goth aesthetic and getting into goth fashion and it makes me very happy that i got to have that conversation um i always wanted to dress in goth but i was never able to afford it and now that i can afford it i'm going to be affording my daughter dressing in goth so i love that the closest i was able to afford despite liking it myself was the uh big black baggy pants like jenko jean style with the chains on yeah that was the only thing i ever afforded those weren't goth those were uh that was more punk that was more rock i was gonna say punk that was that was what I liked. Well, that was the only thing I, I could wore, afford. I was like, I went to we all wore Jinko it was Jean. the only one. Well, no, it was the the, the it was that that style of bagginess, but it was the yeah. the hot topic black ones with all the chains on it. Yeah, those oh, were yeah. Jinko jeans. Yeah. I thought they were Jinko jeans. That's where we got our Jinko jeans. That's good stuff. Hot topic, man. Well, that was when that was when hot topic was actually cool. Yeah, like, hot topic. Yeah. Now, if you go in there, it's all just. And nothing against anime, but it's, that's all it is, is anime and anime accessories and yep. some some band tees, some temporary high, hair dye, and some hair clips, necklaces. And some adult fun stuff in the back right-hand corner. That's Spencer's, like, buddy. Oh, that's yeah, Spencer's. it is. I, I don't, we don't have a hot topic around here. I've forgotten. Like, we only have Spencer's, like, man. I'm sorry. I would be stopping I wouldn't be shopping Hot Topic if they had that stuff in it because I I shop Hot Topic because of my daughter. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. No, see, um, I'm not sad about the anime stuff. I just wish they hadn't gotten <laughs> rid of the other cool stuff. But, like, as a huge anime freak, I love walking in there. And it's, like, all, like, the big, like, mainstream really good animes that are out are just, like, everywhere and, it, and yep. it, it's like the best kind of like it's better than going into a candy store. It's so right. great. Like hot top is hot top. Hot top is actually where I got my little horns, my little red horns, my little hair clip horns. Mm-hmm. Um, there was somebody that was actually like working there, and they walked by and they had little pink ones. And, <laughs> oh my gosh! And I was like, "Wait, where'd you?" I was like, "Do you sell those here?" They're like. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come here. And I, they, like, showed me it. And there was, like, little red ones and pink ones. I was like, I don't want pink. I want red. But red will be better. So that's where <laughs> I got those. Nice. Nice. That's amazing. I love that. See? Fun stuff. I got these really cool. Well, B-Man got them for me. But they're 
um, chopsticks, but they have shigaraki on the side from My Hero Academia because I really heart shigaraki. Yeah. Ah, I love those. I still have them, even though I don't use them very often. <laughs> I love all that anime junk. It's good for my soul. Yeah, me too. We still have. Do you want to still do it? Oh, you know, I'll just talk about this whenever we're done. So, uh, <laughs> sorry, trying to try and talk plans and everything right now. Let's. You guys want to talk about that them? kind of tangent? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm good to close out. I think we had a good time tonight. Yeah, absolutely. Carl, anything else you want to touch on? No, I, th- I think that just about does it. I-, I think that just about does it for us on this episode. Uh, I, we hope you do. We do hope you enjoyed the discussion. I can't talk to you. <laughs> Please join us next week for another episode. But on in the meantime, join us over on Twitch, Twitter, Discord, TikTok, and Hover. And you know what we should do? Everybody, like, we, we see the crow, the raven, and the heron. But what we could do is put our tags on there where people can find us. Yeah, well, somewhere. That's a good idea. Somewhere. Yeah. That's a good idea. We'll definitely have to do that. Um, for myself, it's pretty much Carl Bansonier, K-A-R-R-L-B-A-N-N-S-O-N-R everywhere except for YouTube and I believe TikTok, which is TTV in front of it. For uh, Isaiah, it's Dark Wikipedia, D-A-R-K-W-I-C-A-H-P-I everywhere but Twitter that has an extra D in the front. And for Marley, I believe it's Tief, T-I-E-F underscore L-I-N-G, Tiefling, pretty much everywhere. Everywhere except for Instagram. Instagram, it's the Tiefling. So it's the same thing, just the. Uh, and so we got that issue, too. We, we all have one, one thing that has a differentiation to it. Yep. Yeah. Instagram. Killer of my dreams. Well. All of our previous episodes will be available on Anchor FM, Amazon Prime Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podvine, and Spotify. We hope you enjoy the Murder of Crows community on Twitch and Discord. Thank you all for tuning in. We look forward to having many more discussions in the future. I can't wait to see you guys next time. And until then, for me, Skull. Good night, everybody.